ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to whatever episode number 57. Uh, we have all kinds of exciting stuff for you tonight. Uh, we, I know, like most Americans, wanted to watch a uh, rousing debate of our you know, political discourse and all that kind of stuff. And the closest thing on uh, tonight was WWE's No Mercy event, so we watched that and we live-tweeted most of it. Um, I don't know, maybe something about the, the presidential thing. I don't know. They did something like that, but I heard that was kind of a train wreck. Yeah. yeah. Um, episode 57 basically means that we have been classier than Donald Trump all 57 times that we've been in front of a microphone so far. Which, I mean, it's a short list of people we can claim to be classier than, so uh, <laughs> just let that one hang in there for a second. Uh, we've got So we got definitely a lot of stuff at WWE No Mercy coming up. There was some interesting matches tonight for sure. Uh, I, I know we're going to talk a lot about The Miz and Dolph Ziggler um, and you know the rather weird timing of opening the match with the title fight. So... Uh, and, you know, lots yeah. more to come from there. We have actually a ton of wrestling news, so... Yeah, we've got a lot of news in the Marvel Universe as well. The Defenders have a big bad. Uh, we've got some, um, actually, an Iron Fist teaser trailer. Did you watch that already? I did. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and uh, we've got a f- official working title for Wolverine 3, uh, which I think we're going to have a lot of theories about, so we'll get to that. Um, DC's got some stuff going on, too. Uh, Bat, uh, Batfleck gives us some insight into Deathstroke and how that's going to look like in The Batman, uh, which is what we're calling uh, you know, the new Batfleck movie. Indeed. Um, Batwoman's getting a solo series fairly soon, which is cool because actually I really like this Batwoman in uh, uh, Detective Comics, so that should be fun. We're going to wrap up Luke Cage. We, of course, finished the whole thing. And, you know, this is one disappointing thing about Netflix's model is that we can't talk about it over multiple episodes. I mean, we can, but it might get kind of boring for everybody else at home. Yeah, who's watched it and, you know, it's been over for six months for them. Um, We're going to talk about The Flash. The Flash comes back this week. We've got Arrow. Came uh, back this week. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Past tense. Yeah, we watched it already. We did. We've got Saga. We've got Thundercats and He-Man. That was actually a pretty rad issue, too. Yeah, yeah, we read a couple comic books this week. Um, here's the thing: now that we have TV shows to watch again every week, um, when it comes to talking about comic books, we are probably only going to be able to do a couple of books uh, yeah. per show. If we do any more than that, we're going to spin it off and do its own separate show. Uh, in that, again, we run into having time to read. Yeah. So, if you want that though, tweet us uh, at whatever show, or you know, send us an email. Questions at whatever dot co. Yeah. I'll tell you about it again later. And, and give us good ratings on iTunes because once we get paid for doing this, then I can actually take all the time in the world to read comic books. Yeah, I would totally do that for you people at home. Yeah. All right, let's stick around. So. Let's open up with uh, No Mercy, um, which is actually kind of a, a neat event. It had some highlights, I think, for me, um, but also kind of a weird one, too, given that it's running up against the presidential debates, and they obviously made some uh, title title cho- uh, choices based on that. Yeah, um, here's the thing. I got a couple things, just real small tidbits of TNA news. Yeah, okay. That I'll talk about real quick. Um, so, again, we've had more news about the, the, the possible sale of TNA this week. Uh, Jim Ross reported on his podcast Wednesday morning that a sale between WWE and TNA for the tape library or video library, as it were, is imminent. Um, Now, these are rumors, of course, and he was more than ready to say, hey, these are rumors, with the caveat that the people that he was hearing this from have been extremely reliable in the past, and he has no reason to believe they wouldn't be um, accurate about this. Yeah, so that definitely fits what you were saying. I mean, you've been saying for a while now that the, pretty much the only reason WWE you think would really want TNA is for the tape library. 
Yeah, the interesting part about this rumor is that it was only for the video library and the business of TNA itself was being sold to Billy Corgan. Yeah. Um, presumably to rebrand it as a different name, which makes the tape library useless to Corgan because he wouldn't use that material to promote a new brand anyway, even though he's got basically the same roster and whatnot. Um, but it makes a lot of sense, and it, it's a win for everybody involved, I think, because we have the wrestlers that are working there that get to keep their job or a job at, at the very least. Um, and then we have a ton of content that goes on the WWE Network. Uh, for those of us who maybe didn't watch TNA, uh, when it was on in its original run. I know I didn't, and I would love to be able to watch all of Sting's matches. I'd love to be able to watch AJ Styles um, rise to to fame in, in TNA as, as X Division champ and all that good stuff. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping early in the week we hear confirmation that this is in fact actually what's happening um, going forward. There is a tiny little twist to that too, and that is on one of the most recent WWE fan surveys. Um, they asked the question: Should we split into a tiered package for the WWE Network with plans starting at five dollars and going all the way up to um, fourteen ninety nine? Um, you it's know, just would, a one-time uh, or one one-stop shop. Like you pay ten bucks a month and you get all or nothing, basically. Right, right? now it is, yeah. It's just it's the ten bucks a month in in stateside. Like other other countries, it's it's a little bit different because some um, I think Canada they have to go through their cable companies to get it. Weird, um, yeah. But uh, poor Canadians. I it, guess they'll console themselves with their free healthcare. Well, they they still pay for the network, but like they have to pay their cable company for it instead of paying. WWE gotcha. So it's, it's like getting HBO or something for them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the the live stream actually shows up as a channel on their TV on their cable box. Weird. Yeah, I don't know if I like that. I, I think I'd probably like. I, I can't wait till we move to the model, sort of like the network is now, where like you can turn it on and watch it live, but you can also like if you're a little bit behind, like you can you know pop in there whenever you want, essentially, that's, and that's catch how, it from the beginning. It's, yeah, yeah, it's set up that way now on on the yeah, through yeah. The internet streaming. So totally like that. Um, so the the. Here's the interesting thing, though, and that is part of the $15 package was a section that said this will carry independent promotions such as TNA and Ring of Honor, um, which brought about a whole slurry of rumors. And one of the ones that I'm hearing the most out there is that um, Vince is apparently trying to work with some of the smaller promoters out there to get their content on his network. Um, there is, of course, no compete clauses going in those ag- agreements. So if WWE is in town, that means Ring of Honor can't be in town or TNA can't be in town on the same night. Yeah. Um, they won't you know, head their programming up against WWE programming, things like that. But that that actually strikes me as a little weird, um, mainly because, you know, Vince doesn't need that. I mean, it certainly it's better for. Uh, the small time promoters, if uh, the WWE sort of embraces them, because you know they're not selling their own subs. Like there's no way if they, they came up with competing thing for the network, the, the small promoters aren't going to be able to go head to head with it in any shape or form. But it certainly helps them to kind of roll up into the brand a little bit like that um, as as a separate you know thing. So what works for the WWE in this situation is that if Ring of Honor, TNA, etc. If they if they just have to close their doors and walk away, I mean, Ring of Honor is not in that position right now. Yeah, um, TNA seems like they're TNA is real close, yeah. but um, then it gets harder to notice some of the some of the up and coming talent that are wrestling for the promotions and stuff like that. So it it's actually a win for Vince, sort of like a guys, scouting plan. Then yeah, um, and of course that's going to be kind of included in the no compete clause as well. I mean they're not going to be able to headhunt from each other. Yeah, but once contracts are up, there's no stopping people from talking once that happens. Yeah. All right. Um, so, tell me about Bound for Glory. 
Um, so when I say I watched Bound for Glory, I kind of watched the second half of it. Yeah. Um, it's real bad. I, I mean, the pay-per-view itself isn't terrible, but the condition of the company is really terrible, and you can tell it when you watch it because, number one, I don't like Josh Matthews as an as a, an announcer anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first thing I watched was the induction of Gail Kim into the TNA Hall of Fame, and they kept talking about the prestigious TNA Hall of Fame. And I'm like, it's so prestigious, <laughs> she'll probably be the last person ever inducted into it. Yeah. Um, so... It's like winning a daytime Emmy. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, you can call it an Emmy, but we both know it's not quite the same thing. Yeah, and a lot of the stuff just wasn't that memorable for me. Um, I watched a little bit. Gail Kim did win the Knockouts Championship for a record-setting time or a record-tying time or something like that. And I don't remember what the number was because I didn't really care that much. Yeah. Um, the one match that I really did want to watch um, ended up being pretty cool and kind of weird because it was set up... Um, really strangely i mean of course we know wrestling's a work and, and whatnot but we're used to seeing those guys go out and do what they do live in the ring which they did do some of so the match i'm talking about specifically is um the hardys oh, okay versus uh dk which is abyss and crazy steve i think is his name ah. um and of course the hardys were accompanied by uh matt's har- uh, wife rebby and then uh some chick was with decay and i don't remember her name either but um the match was really weird. It started out live in the ring, and then they went backstage. And while they were backstage, it it switched to a bunch of vignettes that were obviously pre-taped of them fighting in like the parking lot and all over different places of Florida, whatnot. Um, interesting way to tell a story. Um, it gave Jeff Hardy the opportunity to be like four different characters or three different characters. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we yeah, it um, but it ended it ended in the ring. Uh, they came back, of course, and, and ended it in the ring. And uh, Jeff got to jump off a tall ladder and put Abyss through some tables. There was some barbed wire attached to some tables that were involved. Um, and then at the end of the day, uh, the Hardys, Broken Matt, and Brother Nero became the, the new TNA Tag Team Champions, which, I mean, that part, obviously, I'm totally down with. I like the Hardys. Yeah. Um, the Broken Matt persona is a little crazy to me, and the, and the Brother Nero persona... Um, that whole thing is, uh, it's really gimmicky. We went, we went from a time in the, in the early nineties where wrestling was dead and, and because it was all gimmicky stuff and like there was yeah. not a lot of realism involved in it. Um, and then toward the end of the nineties, of course, uh, heading into the Monday night wars between WCW and, and WWE, we hit the, um, the attitude era, which brought a whole different level of reality to things, uh, and I think we're kind of, I feel like we're kind of going back. I mean, obviously it's, I think the business is cyclical anyway. So yeah, um, things work for a time and then they don't work and then you got to change things up. Uh, the broken Matt Hardy character is definitely on the side of, of gimmicky. Um, I don't hate it, but it is a little bit much. Like, I don't think I could marathon all of the broken Matt Hardy stuff in a row because <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it gets a bit much. Um, but, uh, Anyway, not too bad. And then the last match that I watched was um, EC3 uh, versus Bobby Lashley for the uh, TNA Heavyweight Championship. Uh, it was it was all right. It happened. It was a thing it that happened. happened. Yeah, it wasn't the best match I've ever seen. Lashley's busy training uh, for his next Bellator fight for MMA, so he's doing his thing. Um, EC3, as much as he's 
physically in shape and looks the part of being a wrestler, he's still not as polished as I'd like him to be to me to really care about his matches that much. So this was just kind of one of those things that I wish they'd have put the mat, the the broken mat and brother Nero match at the end. <laughs> we're going to have, I think a similar theme when we talk about no mercy. Yeah. yeah we're definitely going to talk about match placement going into, into yeah. no mercy, which we can do now. Cause that was, that that, was that's, basically that's the coverage. Yeah. That's my coverage of bound for glory. Not necessarily what I consider a pay-per-view event. What's weird to me is pay-per-views to me are uh, distinctive from a regular episode of SmackDown or Raw or whatever. Um, the stage is usually a little bit grander. Um, you, for the big ones, obviously, you try and get uh, a bigger venue. Yeah. For sure. Bound for Glory is the TNA equivalent of WrestleMania. Like, mm-hmm. it is their huge, their big number one event of the year. S- held in the same place, Universal Studios, as they do their TV tapings every single week. Huh. So, you know, I I think, I think we've talked about this before, but, you know, the, the whether or not it was actually even going to happen, I think, was up in the air for a little bit because they you know didn't have financing for the thing at all. So, yeah, um, it doesn't surprise me too much that they're kind of cutting back a little bit. It, it, it uh, you know, I kind of hope that if um, the sale things all go well for them, you know, they're going to be able to actually, you know, bring some of the glory back in, in things like bound for glory. Um, but yeah, it, it sounds to me like the, this, uh, pay-per-view is kind of what I expected from a company that's sort of, uh, um, limping along right now. Teetering. Yeah. Yeah. For right. sure. So WWE's no mercy event was tonight. Matt and I both just watched all three ish hours of it. Um, yeah, and this is actually a little bit shorter than three hours. I think, I think it was yeah. about, what two two forty? Yeah, probably. something like that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this was kind of an interesting pay per view because we're running right up against the presidential debate, and although nobody would actually say this, uh, we had the title match right up at the front. So uh, we had uh, John Cena versus Dean Ambrose, and um, God help me on AJ AJ Styles um, for the uh, world. Um, I don't even know what the belt's called. The WWE Championship. WWE Championship. There you go. Um, I always want to say heavyweight championship but i'm pretty sure that's the raw title it was the wwe heavyweight championship for a while and now they just took the heavyweight part and it's just the i'm just so confused the raw championship is the universal championship with the with the brand split i just know that there's like the championship belt and each brand has like their championship belt and then they have their equivalent of the ic title in each brand and you know whatever what's weird to me is that they have the wwe championship is the smackdown title yeah and I like the fact that they're not calling it the SmackDown Heavyweight Championship or anything like that because that was the WWE Championship. Yeah. Dean Ambrose wanted it or kept the title at SummerSlam, so he took it with him when he went to SmackDown when they did the brand split and stuff, and that made sense to me. Yeah. Um, the Raw Universal title is the Raw Universal title, so it's... Yeah. Um, and then the Women's Championships are weird because SmackDown definitely differentiates the SmackDown Women's Championship... Whereas on Raw, they usually just call it the Women's Championship. Yeah. I think lately they might have started calling it the Raw Women's Championship, but before it was just the Women's Championship. Yeah. I think they'll probably um, split it a little bit more clearly um, because it makes it a little bit easier to digest as a viewer, but it, whatever. So we opened the we opened the night with the uh, triple threat title match, um, which, you know, like we said, is sort of an odd uh, you know placement for this match rather than having it as the main event. Um, they, they opened the night with it. And, you know, we, we both strongly, I think, theorized that the reason they did that is because because they didn't want to run the title event against the uh, presidential debates, so there was some weird, um, you know, match placement. This was, I think, the first example of of this for me, at least. The the first presidential debate was uh, record setting in terms of number of viewers, at least in recent history. So I mean, 
the storyline's just getting really good. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think because of that, you put this match first before the debate starts in earnest. That way, you get it out of the way, and then if you lose viewers, they've seen the title match and whatnot. Yep, and you've got good numbers for that particular match. I don't know how they keep track of numbers for the network because obviously, you could leave it streaming in the background and just switch over to the thing. <laughs> it would still look like it's being watched. Yeah, um, but uh, it's uh, this match I didn't hate. I, I actually thought the placement was going to make me really. Uh, look at it differently and kind of take me out of it a little bit, which it did at first. Um, but uh, you have three guys in there like Dean Ambrose, um, who's the least experienced out of all of them, and not by much because he's been wrestling in, in the indies for a long time. But um, And then you've got John Cena, who's a consummate professional, and AJ Styles, who has been been everywhere that you can go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You AJ- know. AJ's, AJ's pretty fucking solid. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is actually a really good match, I thought. Um, uh, all three of those guys are just, uh, um, you know, they, like they all deserve to be in those matches. They're all super fun guys to watch. Um, they've been setting this up, I think, reasonably well, at least from the little bits I'm catching, um, you know, in the pay-per-views and things like that. Like, I, I'm not really catching, or I, I don't watch the programs regularly, so I'm usually just catching up when there's a pay-per-view. Um, but I really like this match too. Like there was a lot of fun things in this. Um, just if nothing else, having Cena using his size against the other two guys, and it, there was one point where I think he he squat both guys, yeah, uh, which was fun. There was another part where I think he literally uh, deadlifted AJ Styles, yeah, and, and from like, from like a, a crouched position, yeah, and, and like just... flipped him into like a suplex position. Um, so. Yeah. I mean, the dude's a monster, basically. Um, And then you had a lot of other things, too. Uh, I kind of thought that Ambrose got a little bit of the shittier, uh, you know, calls in this matches. And um, he was the guy that, you know, when you do a triple threat, we talked about this last week or the last time we did a pay-per-view with a triple threat. You can't have all three guys in the ring at one time, a whole lot of the match. So somebody's always, it seems like, out out on the other side of the ropes or whatever. Um, and for this match, I think that was mostly Ambrose. Ambrose probably sat on the side more time than he was actually in the ring, I think. Um, but Styles was uh, super fun to watch. Like, you could see why that, that, that was a decision that they made. You I, know, I think the only guy in the ring constantly with Cena. I don't think Cena even left the ring really. Yeah, and I think that that goes right to what you were saying like Cena really is a consummate professional and you can see like when when he's wrestling um especially in a match like this, you can kind of see the way that he he leads and and controls the ring so to speak. For sure. For sure. Um Eddie was really on board with the idea of Cena becoming the 16-time uh world champ, tying Ric Flair's record. Yeah. Kind of look. That's what like they 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 were going that way for a little while, um, but uh, yeah, this match was good through most of the match. Got really confusing toward the end because you had the um, the double submit yeah. where Cena and and Dean Ambrose both had AJ in a submission. Yeah, they both hooked a leg and and then and he tapped. Um, so the weird. This is actually the weirdest damn part of it. Then I would have thought what would happen is you would have um, Cena versus Ambrose for the title essentially. Uh, but you know he he submitted, he tapped, left the ring for a few minutes, came back in, and they was they still let him compete essentially. So uh, Styles I think actually ended up with the pin over Cena. Yeah, with the help of a of a steel chair. Yeah. So this was also a no DQ, no DQ match. So, um, came in steel chair to Cena, uh, got the pin, which was just weird. Cause you'd think at that point he wouldn't be in the match anymore, but 
it was kind of a questionable way I think to to call that match for sure. Definitely brought up some interesting interesting points that they addressed on Talking Smack after the uh, the pay per view was over. And you know, it wouldn't hurt my feelings if they restructured the rules of a triple threat. I get it. I mean, it, you can lose the title without being involved in the decision. But in a situation like this, which I mean, honestly, how often does it happen? But if you're gonna use a spot like that as as part of the match, um, you could easily say, well, he did tap but he tapped to both of them. There's no clear winner, but he's out. Like he's eliminated yeah. now and it, and it goes on with that. That would have made a little bit more sense if they had decided to do this, a similar sort of thing, except for say it was Ambrose in the, in, in the submission yeah. and Ambrose submit. Um, and then, you know, they could have played with that a little bit too, because then he could have interfered with the match in some particular way. Like, I don't know that there was, I kind of get the feeling that Ambrose and styles have been feuding for a while. It's been kind of off and on. I mean, yeah. styles beat Ambrose for the title. And so, and then Cena came back and and put himself in the mix, basically. So, yeah, it's it, it's interesting. I I want to see where the where the heavyweight title picture kind of goes from here on out because there's not a ton of guys really that are in. Yeah, is it just going to be like the same match for the next? You know, you know, and that's 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 the risk you run. Um, luckily, SmackDown doesn't have another independent pay per view coming up until after Survivor Series, so they've got a little while to play around with some stuff. Yeah. Um the Raw brand has Hell in a Cell coming up in a couple weeks, so that'll happen before Survivor Series, but uh oh we didn't talk about the big uh, Survivor Series news either Mm-mm. before we went in. Um off subject doesn't have anything to do with pay-per-view, but it is my understanding that Goldberg versus Lesnar is signed for Survivor Series. So if that doesn't say main event, I don't know what does. Yeah, there's no way that's not the main event. And that's an interesting... We've been talking about this a little bit before the show. And in my theory, at least, is that Goldberg could be coming in. And that could be uh, when they finally... You know, Lesnar's gone basically not undefeated, but, you know, pretty much undefeated for so long. Um, And and they've just made him such a force to reckon with uh, that, uh, you know, him losing anything would be a big deal. So it it seems to me like Goldberg is the guy that they could use to to, uh, do that. And it would be it would bring Goldberg back in a major way. So and then you you said that uh, you could see Lesnar uh, losing to Goldberg, but you couldn't really see Lesnar losing to a lot of the rest of the guys on the roster. The way they built him up, it seems really unlikely that he he would would go down for any of those other guys but i can see goldberg going over him and i can see other guys on the roster potentially beating goldberg if that makes any sense like yes yeah. so just it, it seems like it could make for more interesting or more more contention with that with the the championship yeah. belt. only monkey wrench in that plan really is that goldberg the way he's been talking um lately um you know back when he was doing his own podcast and whatnot I, in fact I, th- I think he might still have the podcast but it's moved from podcast one so i don't know where it's at um Word. it uh he he really kind of talks like he just maybe only wants one more match so his kid can see him wrestle because his kid's never oh really seen him go out and and do that um but i think it really kind of depends i think goldberg's the kind of guy that maybe would work with you if you wanted to bring him in on a limited basis um and help build up a brand or whatever yeah i or thought, even build up another guy uh, yeah i thought it would have been great to have him as uh a member of the smackdown roster as kind of a a mentor type guy who yeah. would come in and, and do stuff there. But, you know, it is what it is. And we'll see. Um, it's the world of professional wrestling. So who knows? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, all right, let's talk more. Uh, no mercy. We didn't really want to go off on a huge tangent there, but it was newsworthy. So yeah, for sure. Uh, what was the next match? I was, I want to say it's the tag, the tag match, was but I'm thinking match? that might be wrong. So we had uh, the next match actually was Nikki Bella versus Carmella. So, yeah. Um, and here's the thing. 
aside from the weird uh, double submit thing that happened in the in the the title match, yeah, this was a really good match. Oh, it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. So the rest of this roster really had a tough act to follow. No kidding. Yeah, definitely. Um, so um, the next match, obviously, we had Nikki Bella versus um, Carmella, and this was actually a pretty decent match, all things considered, because they did follow the title match. Um, it it was actually kind of fun to watch because Nikki Bella used to get a lot of shit. Actually, both the Bells used to get a lot of shit for not being the most talented wrestlers in the in the women's division or <laughs> at the time they were the divas division. But um, Nikki's come a long way. Uh, from see, days. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known. So first off, I didn't know that cause I didn't watch and I didn't know that before, but, um, I definitely wouldn't have known that watching this match. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, I, this was a solid match. Nikki, Nikki, uh, uh, went out over Carmella, um, which is kind of th- this one I called correctly. Um, and I just like Nikki Bella. I don't know. She's neat. Who doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, the thing, the thing about this is that it also showcases Carmella as a, as a good heel. She draws really good heel heat because, um, she's annoying as fuck. And yeah, like you want her to get hit. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think during the match, I was like, she has just got the most punchable face. Like somebody, please, like you, you want to see her get smacked. And and we here at the whatever show don't condone, you know, domestic violence of any way, shape, or form. But yeah, uh, we don't beat women, a, but we don't mind ring, man. Other women beat women for a title. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, it it served two purposes. One, it put Nikki back in the driver's seat as far as you know winning a match because I don't know that she's won one since she came back. Uh, yeah, I don't remember because I think she was a big deal in the um, six way tag in the six the six pack the challenge. Six, yeah. The six pack challenge, but um, I don't think she won that one. She didn't win it. She, she was just, like the third eliminated, I think. But yeah, yeah. Um, um, so anyway, it seems like she's gotten back in the saddle, and it was a fun match to watch. So, and she's kind of been Carmella's punching bag for a while. So this was a good blow off match for that. Um, and yeah, they showed that a lot of footage of that at the beginning. It, like she got jumped by Carmella probably like nineteen times or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. Kind of uh, about time she got some comeuppance, which, you know, works because, like you said, Carmella is actually a pretty effective heel. So, Exactly. Um, so, yeah, that was a good match. Um, that was, I think, the only one that we were ballsy enough to predict. And we... No, Eddie predicted one, too. He predicted Cena was going to go over in the first match. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, wrong. I um, didn't predict. I, I, I didn't work up the cojones to actually decide who was going to win that one. Actually, I think... I think um, we we probably should have predicted because I think we would have, except for the title match, I probably would have been pretty much on the money here. Um, the only the only other one that was kind of gonna an either way thing, and I and I guessed correctly. Well, we'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah. Anyway, next match of the night was uh, Slater and Rhino versus the Usos. Yeah. Um, Rhino and Slater are such an interesting pair because they don't make sense to me as tag partners, but they're so fun to watch, and I liked them anyway. Yeah, you didn't watch the build going into the the tag team uh, tournament that they held for SmackDown, so it doesn't make sense if you're on the outside looking in. But the Slater, up- I do know the, the build a little bit with Slater. Like Slater was really fighting for a contract yeah. and him winning the tag match because I think I, I think we actually did watch that pay per view together. Or uh, no, that was the one I couldn't make it for, and, and I watched it, it over here after the fact. So, yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's getting his double wide. Yeah, he's getting getting his double wide. Um, I really like this match because it built their team up a little bit more as a team yeah um also i i like the usos but for the longest time the tag team division pretty much was the usos and i'm not really looking forward to seeing them get the belts again anytime soon yeah um i just don't care about the usos that much as far as being champions go um but there's not a lot of there's a lot of tag teams in smackdown right now um the pre-show before the um 
the actual pay-per-view actually kicked off was an eight-man tag with you know four other tag teams yeah um they're just not i don't think ready to carry the belt maybe the hype bros uh which would be uh zach Ryder and and um no i can't remember his name see that's i I hope you're not looking at me i don't have nothing um it'll come to me and i'll remember it but yeah i don't care so anyway uh rhino rhino and slater on this one um won the match they they did retain and uh that's pretty cool because i like like i said they're they're a weird pairing to me but but i like those guys so slater still has a lot of career left in him uh rhino's been around for a long time i mentioned to eddie during the match that rhino was the last ecw champion um under the original ecw banner yeah um, and you know, that's been out of business since 2000. Rhino is one of the few guys that I actually legit recognize still in the ring from when I used to watch in like 2000, 2001. Yeah. So, um, that, that's, that's pretty huge. I mean, these guys are basically going out and dropping each other on their heads, you know, uh, one or two nights a week for, you know, the past, whatever that is, 16 years or something. Yeah. It's more times a week than that too. Yeah. They really well, only get like a day off. The, yeah, I guess you're right. I, I mean, just not what, not just what's on TV is I mean, the amount of time they wrestle. Yeah, so. to kind of give a perspective on it too, like um, the SmackDown roster was actually in Portland last night at the Moda Center uh, doing a, a house show, and then yeah. immediately had to book it to Sacramento for the pay per view today. So, like the day before the pay per view, they're out there and they're performing in matches and whatnot. So it's it's interesting. It'll be. They're hardworking dudes, like yeah. th- that's for sure. Um, and and you know it's not easy. It's not easy work, I guess. It's not one of those you know like you don't see uh, football players or basketball players, you know, especially football. But you don't really see basketball players with you know twenty year careers a lot of the times um, because it's so physically demanding. And and I think wrestling is probably worse in a lot of regard as far as you know the, the physical requirement and demand that it and toll that it just takes on your body. I mean, those guys are professionals, but when it comes down to it, you get dropped on your back a hundred times a week. Um, that that shit's gonna you know deal. deal some damage so pretty yeah. pretty impressive that, that rhino has been wrestling as long as he did you know the only guy the guy that i can think of with that sort of career and modern memory is probably taker hogan hogan still was going out there and doing matches you know oh really up until just a few years ago yeah but yeah. i mean it wasn't long and taker's only doing one a year now which is probably in his best interest so yeah yeah they, I um, think they just bring him out because he—he's I mean, an attraction now. He's an attraction. A... It's not—he's not really a wrestler. Like towards the end of, uh, um, you know, when I was watching back then, towards the end of like uh, Stone Cold's run, um, it, it sort of just became that way too. Like he wasn't really wrestling a lot of matches. He'd just be coming out and, um, you know, drinking beers and throwing shit and uh, delivering the stunner to whatever. Yeah, he kind of couldn't the, after a while. This yeah. thing, the, 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 his run ended prematurely because uh, I think it was '98. Uh, he got dropped on his head by Owen Hart in a yeah. intercontinental title match, and uh, that did some damage to his spine that wasn't immediately recognizable, and so it it yeah it, it took its toll. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean it's tough work, and yeah, no we, when you're able to do it for a long time, it's nice to see a guy like Rhino come out and be rewarded and have a place on the main roster with a title belt and everything like that. So for sure. Uh, what's next? What do we do that next? That is the Corbin versus Swagger match, and uh, we both barely paid attention to this one because I think I, I definitely have no vested interest, but that was where we kind of decided to check out Twitter and see how this debate was going. In. Yeah, we noticed Chloe <laughs> uh, was funny from uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. starting to be a little active about the, the debates. She's yeah. not a fan of Trump. No. I don't no. know many people who are, but... No. Let's just say she she was not she was not coy about that position. Of course, uh, as I was reading my tweets, th- there wasn't really anybody that was coy about their their uh, you know hatred for Trump. Um, yeah. I, I don't even feel bad. Like he's just bad. He's just bad. 
Yeah. All right. And so, he's orange. Corbin, Corbin and Swagger. Um, Corbin, Corbin goes over Swagger in this. This is this is a um, a rematch from this last Tuesday night. Essentially, the the meat and potatoes of it is is uh, Jack Swagger came over from Raw, decided he wanted to pick on um, Baron Corbin because Baron Corbin is the biggest, toughest dude on the SmackDown roster. Um, which that doesn't that that storyline doesn't make sense because if he was the biggest, toughest dude on the roster, he'd be the champion. Yeah, but I was just gonna say the same thing. He's the biggest, toughest dude on the the, the thing, but he was not the headlining match, and he was not in the title match. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, sure. Um, Jack Swagger on Tuesday night had Baron Corbin in the uh, what is he called? The Patriot Lock, which is um, not unlike Kurt Angle's uh, ankle lock or angle lock, but uh, yeah. Corbin was reaching for the ropes repeatedly, and the ref called it a submission because it looked like he was tapping out, apparently. Um, that was one of those contrived controversies. Yeah. Um, and so this was this was the rematch to that. It didn't go well for Swagger. Uh, Baron Corbin kind of had his way with Swagger through a good portion of the match and hit him with the end of days at the end, and it was done. Yeah. I like that for a finishing move. Uh, Baron Corbin's the name of it, the end of days. The, it's kind of a cool looking move too, that's but. a rad that's a rad name uh i think for a move but honestly i didn't even catch it and i'm not sure what it looks like um yeah i know what it is but it's hard to explain it's fine it's um fine. i i like the move a whole lot better than i like the movie yeah well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm sure that goes for most people and and the, the good news is if you didn't like the the move as much it doesn't go on for another you know 89 minutes yeah uh, the next match of the night um, is was uh, Dolph Ziggler versus The Miz. Uh, both the I- Intercontinental Championship on the line and Dolph Ziggler's continuing career with the WWE um, since he's contractless at this point, or was. Um, yeah, he's... Um, I don't know, obviously, the details on that right now. Um, this match, and we're both going to say this right now, this match should have headlined the show. This should have gone on last. Yeah. Uh, the debates were well underway by this time, so given these guys the really fucking spot, matter, yeah. shouldn't have been a question, but um, so, it is what it is. This this match was fucking great. I mean, I'm not going to give out any five-star matches for any of the pay-per-views we watched recently, but this is four, four and a half easy. Yeah. Um, well, first off, this, like you said, this is one of those matches that told a great story. Um, so we have this... Um, uh, thing going on with Dolph Ziggler, uh, it's very much up in the air as of you know th- this evening whether or not Dolph is going to continue with the WWE. He does some stand up, obviously, um, and you know there was a lot of talk about him leaving uh, for uh, to do to do stand up. And so when they put his career on the line, I kind of uh, one of the things you know everybody's probably thinking is there's a good chance that that's the way that they write him out. Essentially, you know, like rather than just having him stop show up, that's how they write him out. Of course, that also means that. That, you know, if he does really want to stay in the, the thing, that they can tell a great story that way, and they really did. Um, Zolf, uh, sorry, Dolph uh, Ziggler took a lot of hits in this match. There was a lot of interference from um, Maurice, Maurice, and the the uh, what the fuck the, was their name? The the remnants of the Spirit Squad. Yeah, which is the worst name for <laughs> the worst name. So, um, I, I, one of Ziggler's first roles in, in WWE was as a member. There was five of them, it, and they were basically a, cheer, a male cheerleading squad, and they came in and, and did Vince's dirty work for a while. Yeah. Um, they were only able to get a couple of them back uh, to yeah. do it, uh, but, uh, you know, who cares? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, so anyway, you know, she... Um, Ziggler got sprayed in the face by Maurice again because apparently the ref wasn't like you know I should keep an eye on it for that this time because didn't that just happen at the last match whatever it's and fine. the time before and in the whatever. time before yeah uh, the Spirit Squad was interfering uh, with the match 
there was a lot of big moves in this one. Like both Ziggler and the Miz wrestled incredibly well. And I got to give it to the Miz. Um, he's had the IC title for a while now and, uh, he's, he's a solid fucking wrestler, which is really interesting to me. He's really incredible actually, uh, with his entering performance. And the other thing too, is I got to hand it to Maurice because, um, and not just because she's pretty, but like when you come to the ring with a heater, which is, a manager or valet specifically yep. there to help get you heat. Um, if they stand on the ring on the outside of the ring and don't do anything except for look like I can, eye candy, they're not an effective heater for you. But Maurice gets involved. She's always active. Like she sells on the outside of the ring as much as Ziggler was selling on the inside of the ring. Yeah. You know, that's funny. You, you mentioned that. Cause you said during the match, like, well, you know, like both of the guys. So, uh, the last pay-per-view we, we watched, you said, you know, one of the things about Ziggler is that he does an amazing job selling. Um, almost and, too good sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes he, he, it, you know, overacts it just a hair, but you know, I, I think that's what I said is, wow, Ziggler's really selling that. And then you said, and look, you know, so's Maurice. Um, and I never really noticed that, but obviously, um, you know, especially if you're watching it live, um, and you know you're not watching the camera view of things. You, you're seeing those heaters, uh, and so they need to sell the match quite a bit too. And so you know after that, I started paying attention to her a little bit more, and I was pretty impressed actually because um, she does do a really good job. I think uh, of you know doing just that, bringing more heat to, towards the heel. So um, have you ever been to a live event? No. So it's it's weird because you don't have the commentary. Yeah. I mean, we're used to watching it every week on TV, and you got the commentary team. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and they kind of walk you, give you the guided tour through the match and everything else, oh, if yeah, they're yeah. doing their job right. Um, when you're live, you don't have the commentary, and so you're, you're kind of watching not only the wrestlers, but anybody else that's involved on the outside. So I, I got really going to live events and stuff. You get used to doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I still do it even when it's on TV. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I think that actually kind of makes it a little bit more enjoyable. Like once I started noticing that, that was like another element that uh, I, I I can, you know, pay attention to and, and, you know, enjoy or critique or whatever. So that was fun. Anyway, uh, this match was amazing. I thought um, this really probably should have been the title match the, or this should have been the main event match. Um Definitely, which is funny because I think uh, Ziggler said that during um, during, the post, show, during the post show, during the post show, talking smack, and uh, you know I don't even think that was probably him saying like that. That was just straight across. That wasn't work at all. I think he was just saying literally. You know, maybe when we when we put everything on the line like this, maybe we make that one the we, title. We match. probably should have been last. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you know it was a good thing to do for the character, but also kind of like a no seriously Shane, this one should have gone last, and he's not wrong. Like yeah. it, this was definitely the match of the night for me. So um, yeah, uh, Ziggler sticking around. Um, he's now our IC title uh, champion. So my prediction too is that he needs to hold that belt until at least WrestleMania. Uh, make it a chase you know, for somebody else or a couple people coming after him for the belt. What I don't want to see happen with the Intercontinental title is the next pay-per-view, the first match of the night, is a six-man you know, ladder match for the IC belt. Yeah. Um, the, the, the feud between him and The Miz for the last, what is it, month and a half, two months? Yeah. Of just that one guy chasing that other guy that has the title because he wants that title. Plus, made it so much more worthwhile. They they did a good job too, just setting up the stakes here. Um, when it when it's suddenly looking like you know Ziggler's got to win this or he's he's not going to have a you know, and of course we know that's a work and it could be you know that that we knew that was a part of the storyline and they could have gone either way with it. Um, but just setting some stakes like that for the IC belt too was uh, I think one of the things that the IC belts really needed probably for a long time. Again, I've, I haven't watched for the last ten years, but when I used to watch the IC belt match was like a. Um, 
you know, minor leagues at best sort of thing. And they would do all kinds of weird shit with the belt. Like that just didn't matter. And all of a sudden you'd have a wrestler that absolutely nobody cares about carrying the belt for, you know, obscenely long times. So career matches are one of those things where you'd like to think that, you know, who's going to win because, Oh, well that guy's going to be on TV tomorrow night. So of course yeah. he's not going to lose. But when Shawn Michaels ended Ric Flair's career, you didn't know. I mean, Ric Flair was way long in the tooth by the time that happened and probably shouldn't have been in the ring anymore. But those guys don't know how to not be in that ring yeah. when it comes down to it. So at the end of the day, like I didn't know if Shawn Michaels was going to win that match. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I like, I like that stipulation when it's used sparingly and used in a really well-built storyline like this one was the, it, this totally made sense. And there was extenuating circumstances outside of the ring that led people to believe, Hey, maybe this is Ziggler's last match. You yeah. Know? So, so I mean, that was just a really fun match, I think, to watch because you really got that feeling. And, you know, going into the match, this is the other one that I, I would not have. Well, actually, my, my gut said that Ziggler was going to stay because he, he is really good. Um, but I, I wouldn't have bet on that. Like, I wouldn't no. have placed any money on I it. I wanted, because like, this everything really for him was to like, win. Uh, yeah. But, but this really was to me a, a big question mark, or certainly the question mark of the evening. If, so. if we'd have taken predictions on this one, we might have both been wrong. Yeah, definitely. All right, so the next match uh, was Naomi versus uh, Alexa. Is that right? Alexa Bliss, yeah. Yeah, Alexa Bliss. Um, so a little bit of backstory. Uh, Becky Lynch was uh, is the current women's uh, SmackDown champion, and uh, she is not at the uh, was supposed to wrestle tonight against she's in Alexa the hospital Bliss. Right now. But apparently, yeah, she's in the hospital. So um, they, I tweeted prior to the show that this was due to injury. It may not be due to injury. Um, they definitely said it was not related to in ring competition. Yeah, so um, she 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 was out for tonight, and so Alexa still. Um, th- I guess they decided they still wanted to have a match here, and so Alexa still uh, uh, wrestled, and she went up against Naomi. Um, and quite honestly, it, pretty much everything about this match was just a throwaway. Like, I didn't like it. I didn't like the setup. Obviously, these two guys or girls got put in a bad position because it wasn't supposed to be this. I think this was no. a spot on the card that should have been for the for the title. And yeah. I think second to last would have been a great spot for that match. Um, it, it's just, it's clear that this was sort of a last minute, you know, we get, when we got a spot to fill, so they decided to have Naomi go against Alexa Bliss. Um, and, and the match itself, you know, uh, both, both women were fine. There wasn't anything that particularly stood out to me as being good or bad. I don't think they've worked together a lot. You can kind of tell that in the ring. Yeah. Um, it, it was, you know, I, I guess, you know, not exactly awkward, but also not, you know, comfortable. Yeah. Um, it didn't have a flow to it. Like a lot of, like a lot of people can get when they're in the ring and stuff like that. So, um, Really, the only thing I didn't like about this match, for sure, I mean, aside from the fact that it wasn't a really interesting match to me, is I didn't like the end. Yeah, neither did I. Um, we if had Alexa Naomi. is supposed to be the contender, why? Why? Yeah. yeah, we had Naomi go over Alexa Bliss, who's supposed to be the number one contender for the for the women's uh, championship. Now, they did kind of bring that into Talking Smack a little bit when they had Alexa Bliss on for the post-game interview, so to speak. Um, and Daniel Bryan kind of teased, you know, maybe we should bring somebody else in too because, you know, she's earned it as well and this and that and the other thing. Yeah. But really, the thing about Alexa Bliss is she actually is a lot more talented than I would have given her credit for a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, she's a good natural heel. She doesn't need to bring a valet to the ring to get heat for her. Neither does the Miz, honestly. Like, but it's just kind of a one-two punch with the Miz and Maurice because they're husband and wife and it, the whole scenario with them makes sense. But yeah, Alexa's kind of, I don't want to say she can draw Chris Jericho heat because she hasn't been doing it that long and she's not nearly as good at manipulating a crowd as Jericho is. No, but she's pretty goddamn good for as young as she is. 
Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. Even watching her on Talking Smack, like she she really does a pretty good job of selling that whole heel yeah. role. So, um, you know, even going like doing the the you know the typical sort of heel things of like, oh no, well, I mean, she didn't really win because I was setting up this, you know, whatever. That yeah. that, that was kind of really funny. The, right? the typical heel excuse. <laughs> yeah, of course this, that that win doesn't count, and and it was really actually kind of funny on Talking Smack because they were like, no. It, it counts. She yeah. won. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I, but anyway, I, this, I would have had her go over just because to preserve that that number one contender status. So would I. And because that's the thing that you hate about heels is when they're right. Because she was out there in the middle of, of, a, of a speech basically saying there's nobody back there good enough yeah. to take my number one contender spot. And then Naomi came out. And you don't – I don't think Naomi needs that kind of a push right now. Like, she's kind of freshly back from having been away for a little while. I don't know if she was down at NXT or I don't know if she was maybe injured or whatnot. But um, they kind of rebranded her and repackaged her and threw her back out um, for the six-pack challenge, I think. But uh, it's – I think Alexa probably could have held her own a little bit. I don't – I mean, Alexa needs somebody to fight with over the next couple weeks, though, because she doesn't get her match with Becky until November 8th in Glasgow. Yeah. So maybe that's what they're going with it, but I uh, still want to really think they're going to have Lynch go down over in Glasgow. Well, I mean, she's Irish, not Scottish. Uh, that's a good point. <laughs> I'm sure like millions of I- Irish, Scottish, but basically everybody from the, the Isles of Great Britain were just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Anyway, <laughs> well, we have a lot of listeners there. Yeah, I'm sure. All, all, we, we expect tons and tons of emails about that. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this this just I don't know. I mean, obviously you need to set up the feud, but I don't think I would have set it up with an Alexa Bliss loss because I think the thing that you hate the most is a heel that says they're better and is better. Yeah, Triple H, Triple H For back sure. in back in the late '90s, early 2000s, people fucking hated that guy. But it wasn't because he was a shitty wrestler. It was because he cheated or he didn't cheat. But he fucking won. Yeah, like, see, that's what I was just going to say. Like, y- you know, the thing about heels a lot of the times is there is some, in, you know, inner outring shenanigans that, uh, you know, gets them the win. You know, like um, Maurice and The Miz um, are, are, you know, the last the last pay-per-view. Um, that was, I think, how they, they won was through some, you know, shenanigans like that. Um, and, and, you know, that makes you hate them. But, you know, I, just like you said, I hated Triple, Triple H so much more when he went over clean. Because it's like, well, that guy's an asshole, but damn, you know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. Uh, last match of the night, main event was uh, Randy Orton versus Bray Wyatt, and as I said before, I really thought it should have been Diggler. Uh, sorry, Ziggler and the Miz, and uh, this match didn't change my mind. So yeah, this was actually when you bring up the word awkward, this was probably the most awkward match I think of the night because we saw Orton getting manhandled by Bray Wyatt through a good portion of this match. Yeah, Number like seventy five percent of the match, Orton was, sells his ass off. And I don't think Bray sells nearly as much. And I don't know if that's intentional or if that's just because he's not thinking about selling as much. But um, the end of the match made me question why we endured the rest of the match. Because if you're going to... This was another... He won... um, So the end of the match has um, Bray Wyatt... This is when finally uh, Orton is kind of coming back into the match a little bit and stops getting his ass kicked and uh, some, you know, weird shenanigans happen, lights go down. And when they come back up, uh, Luke Harper, who I know nothing about is standing in front of Randy Orton. And of course, you know, making Bray, faces at him. Yeah. Making faces essentially. And then of course that's where Bray uh, um, hits him with sister Abigail and yeah, it's, it's done with, but so why doesn't, Orton have any momentum in the match prior to yeah, this. Yeah, until like, the last he, three minutes, he, yeah, probably. Like, that, that's the thing. Like, 
if you're going to tell a story and you're going to have it go back and forth, that's fine. Like, I, I, I'm a fan. Like, I get it. I'm okay with the back and forth. What I'm not okay with is a dude getting his ass kicked the entire time and then getting his ass kicked again at the end um, after generating little to no offense, especially when you're it's a 12-time champion in Randy Orton. Yeah, see, that's what I was just going to say. The thing that bothered me here is that, like... Um you, I expect stuff like that, like the whole Luke Harper thing, um, or you know, some some sort of in ring shenanigans. I expect that to happen, but usually when you when you want to see that, when uh, you know Bray Bray is weak, um, so and he was never weak in this match. I mean, there was one moment where uh, he he set up the stairs because he was going to do something on him, and then he totally um, dropped himself on him. So that was kind of dumb. But other than that, like Orton just got manhandled pretty much the entire match, and then. Uh, Bray still won through some, you know, shenanigans like that. So, uh, I don't know. This match was definitely underwhelming for me. Yeah. I'm I'm definitely of the opinion that, that Ms. Ziggler should have been in this spot, for sure. Yeah. I think these two could have earned that main event spot. No, I it think they that match did. It just, they, they should have just planned it differently. Um but uh, the way the way everything played out, I mean, it definitely should have been more mid card than yeah into the show uh, kind of thing. And it's nothing against either one of the talents because they're both really talented performers. I just my whole thing with Orton is I don't get like he's injured for almost a year, I think, or if not more, uh, mm-hmm. he was gone, and he comes back and his first match back is against Brock Lesnar and he gets annihilated by Brock Lesnar, yeah, to the point where he's concussed enough that he can't have his match at Backlash with Bray, like they were supposed to and then again another pay-per-view loss to bray tonight yeah after getting like it just i mean it why why are they beating the shit out of orton so much right now yeah like there comes a time when like it starts hurting the character and we're at that they're not even really selling and they're not even really particularly i think selling well a story with this one like orton just getting the shit kicked out of him and and all of these matches just to me isn't even particularly the build up between orton and bray is pretty good and you have to watch smackdown to get the build up for the most part yeah of course so that part i didn't mind i actually liked the build to this match i just thought this match was not planned well yeah, so that's no mercy for the evening. We're going to be back, I think, talking about WWE next with uh, Survivor Series. Is that what's coming up? No, actually, we have Hell in a Cell in a couple oh, weeks. Oh, Hell in a Cell. I actually really like Hell in a Cell, um, so that should be fun. Um, so we'll be back with Hell in a Cell, which, of course, is a Raw event, and so we'll have some more Raw-related uh, WWE coverage at that point. Probably going to try and plan to have Bailey here for that, too. He was supposed to be here tonight, but um, as it is, he ended up having to work a double today, so yeah. he wasn't able to make it. Yep. All right, so we'll be back with some DC news right after a refill. Nope. Comcast News. Comcast News, you're right. Oh, I'm, we may want a couple of refills. Soapbox. All right, folks, we interrupt your regularly scheduled ranting about nerdy topics such as comic books and TV shows to bring you uh, nerdy ranting about something near and dear to our hearts, the internet and its acceptable usage. Um, so recently, this week actually, Comcast has announced that they're going to begin enforcing a cap on many, if not most, of their customers. Uh, it's limited to states. You can go on the internet and Google it really fast and find out whether or not you're going to be one of the people of affected by this cap um, and what they're saying essentially is you will only be allowed to use one terabyte of data on your home connection and for each uh, 50 gigabytes you go over that you will be charged up to ten or ten dollars per 50 gigabyte block uh, capping at two hundred dollars or you can pay them a whole additional fifty dollars per month for a truly unlimited connection 
So why am I pissed off about this? Um, Comcast claims that only 1% of its users will um, go over that one terabyte cap. And uh, today they're right. Um, you know, they, they've got the numbers. They can see it. Only 1% of the people exceed that one terabyte cap. Uh, what pisses me off, though, is they said the same thing when they had a 300 gigabyte cap that they were only enforcing in certain markets uh, as little as five years ago. So and they only as- enforced it on some people. Like, I got one nasty gram about it yeah. once. So back in the, you know, just as, as few as five years ago, Comcast was saying you are capped at 300 gigabytes and only 1% of the users go over that 300 gigabytes. So that should be plenty for everybody, um, you know, completely ignoring the fact that the way that the, the, the writing has been on the wall for a long time, our internet usage is only going to increase. So why in particular am I more pissed off about it than probably most of the others? Because as we were talking about before the show, uh, Matt doesn't hit the cap most of the time. Yeah. So here's the thing. Before Eddie goes into his his um, por- portion of the story, Clear I just schedules boys because we got a long way to go. No, I here's the thing: the way that they market themselves and the way that they present themselves is deceptive. Anyway, um, I got an email from them saying, uh, "Blah blah blah, we're gonna do this. You use on average 945 gigs, yeah, monthly. Okay, so I actually pulled up the usage meter and I looked at it." Because um, you can compare your current month, and then you also have the full stats of the last three months. Yep. The month of July, I used 1.3 terabytes. Okay? Mm-hmm. Definitely in that 1% area. That they claim. Right? Yeah. That they claim. The next two months, though, I was just over 500 gigs each of those two months. So, yeah, the average is 945, but really, I had one month where I used a lot, and then two months where I was only half of what they claim my average usage was. Yeah. Um, the average usage for me was weird because I think they said my average usage was 1.2. And of the three months I looked at, 1.2 was the lowest number. The other three I was over. One of them was like 1.7. One was like 1.5. Um, so here's the reason why I'm pissed off about this. Um, cable subscriber numbers have been declining for a number of years now. In fact, the writing is pretty much on the wall that at some point uh, cable is going to stop being a thing that the average household has, if it hasn't already. Um, simply because most of us now, especially, uh, uh, you know, us nerdier side, or, or my kids is for sure. Like my kids, um, they all say they want cable, and then when we get cable, I still see them on nothing but YouTube and Netflix all the time, um, because you know they can watch that when they want. And you know, just like I was talking about the the network at the beginning of the show, um, my usage model now is much such that I would vastly, vastly prefer the network as an app I can run on whatever device it is I'm using um, that streams on demand when I want to see it versus a channel on a TV that is playing whatever it is playing when when we get there. Um, well, and here's the thing. The network is on demand, but it also has a live stream that plays specific yeah. programming. So it's not like they're mutually exclusive. Like you can have your on-demand app, but also still have the like, you know what? I don't want to pick something right now. I'm just going to turn on the WWE network and watch whatever they're whatever playing. Whatever's on, yeah. You know? So there's a couple of aspects about this that piss me off. Number one is um, this is clearly a mechanism to get the money. So when I cut my cable package, for example, um, I probably save at least $50 a month by not having cable because I don't want or need cable. And so Comcast is sitting there in its ivory tower saying, well, we got to recoup that revenue somehow. So let's figure out how we can do that. And the way that they do that is by... Um, 
charging us for uh you know quote unquote unlimited which i'm sure is going to hit have some limit on it like reality is i'm probably going to buy the unlimited package because there's really no way around it for me like the ten dollar a month overage thing or something like that like if i went that direction i would hit the cap and i'd be paying an extra two hundred dollars a month or you know i don't want to have to estimate what the difference in my bill is going to be and i also really don't want to have cable again like it it's not a thing of like i can't afford it i've or i've chosen um you know, that's not an expense I want. It's simply, I don't like cable. I do not like the model at all anymore. When we have it, it just is annoying to me to have to deal with all of the things that go along with cable. And I just don't want it. So even if, uh, you know, it's free, I'd probably still say, no, no thanks. You know, um, but it, the other thing is, it's not free. Like my wife was saying, you know, like if we just spend another $5 a month, we can get the cable package, except for she doesn't realize that that $5 a month does not include the charges for all the boxes and whatever have you. So Whatever. Yeah, my my only problem with cutting cable completely is shows like The Flash and Arrow and whatnot, which I like to watch the night of. And if you're streaming it legally, you can't watch it until the next yeah. day when CW puts it up on theirs. They even lost Hulu. Like Hulu doesn't have it anymore. Like I was talking to Bailey last week, and he was like, "I couldn't watch The Flash because I checked Hulu; it wasn't there." Yeah. Um, um, so, and that's another thing, you know, like, I think that that's, that is, um, again, clearly the past conflict of interest propping up or, you know, getting in the way of the future. Um, cause it's pretty clear that most people want to be able to watch the damn thing when they want. And so they'd probably be a lot better off doing something in the middle of, you know, Netflix's model, which is it comes out on this day, watch it as quickly or as slowly as you want to. Um, but you know, it seems to me like there's no reason other than being completely arbitrary, um, to, you know, not let you watch it day of. So, um, that's one thing that pisses me off. The other thing that pisses me off is there's zero technical reason why they need to do this. Um, they they want to claim or they frame it like there's some reason. Like, you know, uh, one of my friends asked on Facebook the other day, um, you know, if you use more water, you pay more for water. If you use more electricity, you pay more for electricity. But the thing that that's missing is that that's not what we're paying for. Um, it's not we're not paying for more water in this case uh, because that's not what Comcast is selling. Comcast is selling the pipe. Um, Comcast is selling the pipe the water runs through. It doesn't have to do, it doesn't matter whether you use a drop or 130 gallons, um, one, you know, 1.3. It doesn't matter. Once the infrastructure is built, um, th- it functions the same way whether you use all or nothing, that's, essentially. That's what people need to understand about the internet. The internet is not a thing, the internet is you. It's me. It's Eddie. The internet is anybody who's connected to yeah. one part of the pipe or another. And it's that information from my computer to Eddie's computer to your computer to uh, Google server farms to anything yeah, else. In that, like, in that analogy, the water the water is actually the content that you get from Netflix or something like that that you yeah. already pay for. Yeah. Like you already pay for them to, li- to deliver. Comcast has also been notoriously shady about this. Like they, they want Comcast to pay an additional fee for delivering their content. They want me to pay an additional fee for getting the content. Um, and basically what they're trying to do is double dip. They're trying to make money well, on both ends. And when I, there's no technical necessity or reason that they should be making that money other than the fact that they basically have a monopoly in most of the markets that they operate because of, you know, local um, regulated non-competes and stuff like that. So, well, and I think they kind of, um, this is part of their retaliation from uh, the fair use ruling last year. Yeah. Uh, that said that no, they couldn't charge Netflix more money for delivering their product to us at the same speeds as any other provider would. Yeah, like we've already paid for it. They just yeah. want to charge more because they know people want it. Um, and so that's kind of a, you know, a bullshit way to go. Um, it's a, it's a 
completely obviously bullshit way to go. So um, the the thing about here, uh, one of the things that I think makes me the maddest about this isn't simply that I'm going to be paying more money. It is that I know for most people, that's probably not a palatable decision. And a lot of people will just simply start monitoring their usage and try to reduce their usage of the internet. And if we had had the same discussion, if we had the same problem back in say like 1996, um, most of the ways that we use the internet today would not be possible or, or would never have become a thing um, because we'd all be worried about using too much data, much in the same way that we're worried about using too much data on our cell phones. Um, you know, a lot of you probably monitor and change your usage of how you do things on your cell phone. But just imagine for a second, if you did not have any data cap, how you would use your phone differently. Yeah. Um, you know, you suddenly wouldn't have to worry about whether or not you were on your Wi-Fi network or a Wi-Fi network and you could just watch Netflix whenever you wanted. Um, you wouldn't have to worry about backups. You know, like one of the things we do that I'm sure contributes to my high data usage is I download something like 30 gigs a show a week or something like that across the network. Well, that's not true, but you know, another four or five gigs a week, uh, for our show to go back and forth over the thing and then back up somewhere. So if I lose it, it's, I'm not screwed. Yeah. Those of you who may not know, uh, the behind the scenes of what goes on here at the show is we record at my house in uh you know the studio as it were yeah um once the show's done we hit the save button that saves to um a a network attached storage device that i have and we have a program on there that automatically starts uploading that show to eddie's server at his house where he goes home and then does the editing and uploading of the show from there so um and because the show's important to me and I don't want to fuck it up any more than I already have, see episode 55, um, I, I set it to back up too. So as soon as it hits that server, it backs up to the cloud. Um, so, uh, and, you know, previously that's not been something I'd ever have to worry about. Um, it just is. And I now don't have to worry about my show being, you know, a, a problem. You yeah. know, one of the things that I think is increasingly common too is how many photos we take. Um, with the advent of the smartphone and the camera phone really taking off and being something that you can actually legitimately replace your, you know, standalone camera for most people, lots and lots of people take tons and tons of photos. I know that I probably have somewhere in the neighborhood of a terabyte of photos itself on my home uh, computer stored and then backed up to the cloud. So what am I supposed to do if my home computer, my hard drive dies and now I have to download all those photos again? I guess in Comcast's mind, I should pay extra for that privilege, even though, again, there's no technical reason that that's any problem for them You'll at all. just have to pick the photos that are really important to you. Yeah. Yeah. No. And here's the thing. My kids just got cell phones. Not my little kid, but, you know, my older two, um, they have cell phones. You know, um, yeah. their mom pays for one, I pay for the other. And it, it's it's a wash that way. But here's the thing. My oldest daughter has the phone that I pay for, and... uh I, I monitor her data usage because I, I have a limited data plan through Verizon and we don't use that much data. I only have the four gig plan because we don't use that much Yeah, because we're mostly home and on Wi-Fi or I'm at work and I'm on Wi-Fi or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, this adds a new set of worries though, because like within a week and a half, I noticed that my kid was using like a 1.2 gigs of, of data and I was like, whoa, 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 you know? Yeah. Um, and it turns out it was because she kept dropping the Wi-Fi connection at her mom's house and not realizing it. And I was like, okay, so talk to her mom. Her mom helped put a stop to it, whatever. She doesn't use that much data. But at home on Wi-Fi is supposed to be your safe space. Yeah. Now I have to actually be like, well, she can't use mobile data. And now I have to be aware of what she's doing you know, on the a- Wi-Fi too. Because if I hit that one terabyte cap, I'm effed. So That's another thing that you know I contributes very heavily to my um, in-home 
usage of, of, of internet and why my, you know, why I'm obviously in that 1% of people, um, my kids, you know, every, everything my kids do on the internet uses a significant amount of data. Like I like to read on the internet. Uh, probably if you condense down just my internet usage, I'd probably be well outside of the 1% because most of the things I do on the internet are reading, um, and articles and stuff like that aren't that heavy. Um, although even stuff like that, even simple things like going to blogs and shit like that has only increased. Um, it has only gotten bigger and it has only gotten heavier and uses more data every single time you go to a new one. Um, but my kids do nothing but video. Like my daughter is like lives and dies by this musically thing, um, or by YouTube. So, well, um, and what does YouTube do? Once the video plays, it randomly picks another thing that it thinks you might be interested in and starts playing it. Whether your kid's still in front of the tablet or not. Yeah. That video is still playing, still using bandwidth. Yep. Uh, you know, even Netflix. Like, I don't want to have to live in a world where I, if I forget to turn off Netflix before I fall asleep, I'm going to wake up and have a huge bill because I ran over my internet usage for the evening. Especially knowing that there's zero reason I should actually have to pay yep. for that. I fell asleep watching Star Trek last night. It watched three more episodes without me. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, but again, my biggest, my biggest beef with this is that think about how that, that can change our usage pattern of the internet and what that can do to stunt the growth of the future. Because I, you know, I consider myself a little bit ahead of most of society on some of these things. Like certainly when it comes to how I use and back up my devices and stuff like that, like that's another thing. What happens when I drop my phone in the toilet and I have to download the whole, you know, whatever it is at the time, it's going to be, you know, 128 for most people pretty soon, 128 gigabytes, you know, there you go. You just used a 10th of your data usage for the entire month. Um, for one little thing like that. Um, my steam library, I'm pretty sure if I had to redownload, that would be more than a terabyte. Um, if a hard drive fails or something like that. So what are we supposed to do in those situations? And the answer now is that, you know, for a lot of people, you're going to have to monitor your usage of that, or you're going to have to take that shitty situation where you're already paying to replace your phone and also pay to download your data or something stupid as well. Um, and then just think about, you know, all of the things that have cropped up over the last, you know, five years that are enabled because of our internet usage. So things like, um, you know, video calling, um, video calling has been possible for quite a long time. It's really taken off in the last few years. It would be dead in the crib if you really had to consider your data usage all of the time. FaceTime. FaceTime uh, on any iDevice has really kind of helped that yeah. that lift. Skype is another big one. Yeah. And, and I, that didn't really... I think once, once you could see how easily valuable that was through FaceTime... Uh, uh, pretty much everybody else got on board. Google has, I don't know, probably like 19 different chat applications that do video calling these days. Um, Eddie and I have done the show at from different houses before, yeah. uh, and we use Skype. And Incredibly we always, common in podcasting. We always have the, the camera on. Why? Because if I can see the other person, it's easier to have a conversation. Th th that is damn near a standard for most people in podcasting like you cannot get around skype if you're going to podcast especially because most people a lot of people that podcast that i listen to don't live right next door to each other and so skype is one very common mechanism for making those things happen yeah um so there's just so many ways i can think of in which this is damaging to how we use the internet and you know again uh, the internet being one of the things that i think is not not any more chiefly american but it is certainly one of the things that's enabled a lot of economic growth for the united states um, how we can let a private business um, let greed get in the way of continued growth is beyond me. So yeah. the final, I guess we're going to move on because you probably don't want to listen to me rant about Comcast all night. <laughs> but the final thing I would say is please go to the FCC website if you don't agree with any of these things and uh, complain. 
Um, the FCC has actually um, already had some luck with um, enforcing fair use, uh, you know, like Matt was mentioning with uh, Netflix and, you know, the CDN delivery and all that kind of stuff in the last year. So um, the FCC is not completely without teeth. And pretty much that's our only option, because if you're like me, your other option is a much, 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 much slower competitor um, who's worse in every way. So, yeah. Um, and this is obviously something that's that's uh, it affects everyone um, because podcasts are only getting bigger when i started when i started reading articles about podcasts if you went back even five years they would say you know you only need to upload 64k uh or 64 yeah kilobits per second uh mp3s and you should never exceed you know say 45 megabytes of, of file size or something like that i haven't produced a single show um that i think is less than 100 so um, well and that's the thing is we're not going to sacrifice quality either for the sake of our upload size for this like that's we're just not going to do it and yeah it used to be a big deal but now that we're you know the internet's progressed and things are getting faster and you know that that's something that we've been uh literally able to do you know what's also scary 4k video 4K video is just, just around the corner. And uh, lots of people have 4K already. Netflix, yeah, Netflix streams in 4K. does stream 4K if you got hardware that can handle it. Um, so if you're one of those people, um, then pretty much all of the figures that Comcast give you about how, how much video you can watch is bullshit. because those, those figures are bullshit anyway. Yeah. And when they say high-definition video, they're not even talking 1080, guys. Um, so 1080, which is pretty much a standard for basically everybody at this point. And, you know, 4K is literally just around the corner. Like if you're buying a TV anytime in the near future, um, you're probably going to end up with a 4K device uh, not too long from now. And uh, that eats up significant amount of it. You know, for, for illustration, um, the iPhone came out with 4K video or can take 4K video as of, I want to say the 6 Plus, And they were selling a 16 gigabyte iPhone and it would take you just a minute and like 37 seconds to fill up the entire free space of the device with 4K video. Yeah. Um, so if you want to actually be able to stream 4K content, which is pretty much the only way you can get it uh, um, soon, is you just don't want to cap on your internet like that. Like the usage is only going up. Yeah. And then finally, uh, I guess I should say finally, finally, uh, the last thing that pisses me off about this is it's all going over the same wire. Comcast cable TV moves over the same wire, but there's no penalty for watching too much TV. Nope, never has been. Here's the yeah. thing too: uh, don't don't skimp on your uh, home Wi-Fi equipment either. I mean, no. the thing about it is, is they don't care if your router is getting it to your streaming box in a in a manner that's fast enough to make it not look shitty. Yeah, they only care how fast is being delivered to your Comcast modem that's in your house. So. Do yourself a favor, do your research when you're buying a router, get a good one that is going to actually be stable and be able to deliver it to you at a decent speed so that you're not paying for it to be delivered to your house at a premium price, but still getting shitty quality delivered to your TV. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about something less depressing. Let's talk about DC. Woo. Marvel. Yeah. Marvel? We're going Marvel. to Marvel first? Okay, yeah. fine. Let's talk about Marvel. We got, we got I a guess, lot more Marvel. I guess it's like right in the show notes. Yeah. So, yeah, we should do that. Um, the Defenders have cast their big bad. Um, so, Matt, tell me about that because I didn't read it. So, um, I don't know who the character is because I didn't necessarily read the entire article and I don't think it actually says. But we mm. do know the the actress that is going to be the big bad actress. Um, and they turned New York City Comic Con into a WWE live event because once they announced this, the entire panel the crowd of the panel was yelling holy shit holy shit yeah sigourney weaver is going to be the big bad in defenders that's a big get that is a big get um so so first off there's been a lot of things that i think that i've seen in some of the defenders content both uh with luke cage jessica jones and um uh, uh daredevil 
where I've been impressed by the people that they've gotten, you know, to play Rosario. Yeah. Rosario Dawson for, especially given that she's playing a smallish part up until Luke Cage, I would say, um, um valuable part, albeit, but like, yeah. yeah, not as, not as big of a part as I would. I'm have just saying suspected. she's not, she's, she's certainly not taking up 20 minutes of screen time in every episode up until, you know, Luke Cage, and which we then, will talk about. Yes. We're going to get to that. But, um, damn, uh, Sigourney Weaver, like you can't bring her in and not do something amazing with her. And what they've done so far with all of their villains has been, uh, you know, just outstanding. So I can't wait to see exactly who it is she's going to play and how they're going to use her because that should be way cool. Yeah. And I know you're asking, what the hell's the Defenders? Well, it's this. Um, we've already had Daredevil. We've had Jessica Jones. We now have Luke Cage. In March, St. Patrick's Day to be exact, the next installment of the Netflix Marvel TV series is dropping in the form of Iron Fist. Yeah. The Defenders is a team that's comprised of all of those. So once Iron Fist is done, presumably we'll roll right into Defenders after that. Yeah, don't be too surprised if the Punisher doesn't show up in there because the Punisher did so well in Daredevil Season 2 that they've decided to give him his own show. So while not originally part of the Defenders uh, and part of the plan, uh, I'd be very surprised if we didn't get at least a couple of appearances by uh, John Bernthal as the Punisher. And my understanding, too, is that the Punisher is actually filming. Yeah. Um, And it's working under the title Crime. Yeah, because they didn't want to get too specific. No. <laughs> no. They're just like, what is the Punisher not like? It's crime. Yeah, we'll just call it that. Yeah. Stick with that. He also well, he does also doesn't like broccoli too much either. Um no, we're gonna stick with crime. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that'd be like uh that'd be like having the Undertaker wrestle in a cucumber on a pole match because I don't know if you know this, but the Undertaker is legitimately terrified of cucumbers. So Is he like a small cat? I don't know. What's the deal with cats and cucumbers I anyway? I don't know. I don't know. For my cats, I assume it's just like they're like that looks like a vegetable. Ew. Yeah. Have you done that to them yet? No. Now I, I guess I'm gonna stop on this at the store on the way home because that should be fun. But anyway, I'll do it to my wife too. She probably would get scared as well. She hates cucumbers. Actually, funny story. Really? I love cucumbers. I love cucumbers. They're awesome. Um, but my wife, uh, we were we were sitting at a steakhouse one night and we were eating dinner and she got a dinner salad and she's taking a bite and she reacts like. Like she just bit into a human finger. She's eating her salad, and she has this the most like disgusted look. Like I, I kind of expect her to start throwing up any second. And uh, she spits her salad out back into the bowl, you know, uh, because my wife's a classy lady. And uh, and and I look at her and I'm like, what the hell? And you know, like I'm look, I'm literally expecting to see like a fingernail or like a human finger or something like that. And she's like, what is this? And I'm like looking at it and I'm like, babe, that's a cucumber. Um, so yeah, like it apparently you're looking the at her going, disgusting thing. You're looking at her going, been. literally, that is not the worst thing I've seen you put in your mouth. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, cucumbers, apparently, uh, kryptonite for my wife and cats. And also the undertaker. So, uh, wow. We covered like three stories in that one conversation though. So yes, March 17th, Iron Fist, Danny Rand, um, this is going to be fun. This is going to be, I think... I'm super stoked for I this one. I think this is going to be kind of like a, a martial arts flick, but like it's got a little bit of the mystic in it as well. Yeah, you need to check out... Um, so one of, the, one of the things we'll have in the show notes for the, this week is the Marvel Iron Fist Twitter uh, tweet recently tweeted um, a teaser for Iron Fist, and it looks so good, and I'm really excited for this because as cool as the fighting in Daredevil was, um, that was obviously toned down quite a bit for Jessica Jones and for Luke Cage because that's not really their character. Um, oh, there's some pretty intense scenes in Luke Cage. Oh, they're, they're for sure is and we'll talk about it but um you know when we're talking about like um 
technical sort of interesting choreography fights. Um, that's not really Luke Cage as much or um, Jessica Jones. Daredevil, Daredevil definitely had that going on. And just seeing what they've got in the teaser so far for Iron Fist has me, you know, iron hard. So <laughs> it, it should be a lot of fun. Um, anyway, yeah, Defenders, man. We're going to talk more about Luke Cage in a second and how I feel about the Defenders overall. And just spoilers, it, it's pretty damn happy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, let's talk a little bit of movie news just for a couple minutes. We got Wolverine three news. Um, it has a title now. Yeah, they're calling it simply Logan, which I think is cool. Yeah, and I, I think, think this smart. is actually kind of this is where I, I was saying we probably have some rumor to talk about here because I think one of the things that they're doing is uh, probably a, a couple of different uh, things. Like number one, uh, the first thing that jumped to my mind is they could be going with an old man Logan sort of storyline. That's been that's been rumored for a while now. I don't necessarily think that that's probably the full story. No, um, I also think it's possible that they're calling it Logan and distancing it from the moniker of Wolverine a little bit because they might d- be deciding instead to set up a different Wolverine because um, we know they're going to want to continue to use Wolverine in some fashion after after this movie. Um, so wouldn't surprise me if we were getting a an X-23 Wolverine. That's also been rumored, too, is that we're, we're going to see Laura Kenny make her appearance in this movie. Um, here's the thing. One of the things that X-Men Apocalypse did really well and I say one of the things because there was only a couple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen that movie a couple times now and it's not. It, 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 that's one of those movies that like I, in the theater watching it, I was really happy about it. And then when I got out of the theater and I'm on rewatch, it's kind of like, yeah, it's not so great. First class days of future past. Amazing. Like they both like, I love those movies as a tandem. And then I watch apocalypse a little bit more and I'm just like, you know, this could have been better. But there, there's, there's a, you know, gem of a movie in there somewhere. I did love absolutely though. The weapon X style Wolverine when he escaped from the facility and whatnot. And I would love yeah. nothing more than for this movie to, it can even be in flashback form like hit some of that stuff from his escape from the facility uh, leading us up to wherever presumably this movie ends. Yeah. One of the other things that has me leaning towards a, an X 23 or introduction of a new character. Um, and this is, this is really grasping at straws here. Um, it's not exactly like, a, um, you know, like everybody sees what they want, sort of tinfoil hat conspiracy, but uh, one of the posters they released uh, or movie posters was, um, Logan, you can you clearly tell it's him because you got the claws coming out, um, sort of holding the hand of a young child. Well, and see, the thing is, is, is um, the the Laura Kinney thing is more plausible as well because we have at, at the the teaser or the stinger from Apocalypse was uh, the Essex Company, uh, which we know is is one of Sinister's names, um, yep. who was very much into genetic dabbling and whatnot. So a Wolverine clone does not seem out of the realm of possibility in fact it seems like that's the road they're trying to lead us down yeah so so uh you know if, if we got it right you heard it here first um if we're totally <laughs> wrong uh just pretend this doesn't exist it's all rumor yeah much like donald trump will just pretend like it never happened and in fact uh completely deny and give you an, an entirely different explanation it's gonna be huge huge i didn't say that i didn't say that either um dc uh, we nope. got so, no. We got one oh, more. Oh, we thing, skipped man. one more thing. You reading, man? It is not as easy as it looks. Um, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy is the deadliest movie ever made. Um, I did not read this, so tell me about it. This is actually funny. Um, this pertains to on-screen deaths. 
Oh, okay. I can so, see this one, yeah. Um, just if nothing else, at the, the Nova, the Nova that's, Prime. That's exactly the, at the Nova Core. Yeah, the Nova um, Core got their asses handed to them in that. Yeah, this, the, there was well over 80,000 on-screen deaths in Guardians of the Galaxy, which puts it way above anything else. I think the closest one to it is Dracula Untold, and I think it's like six grand or something like Does, that. Does uh, footage of like Hiroshima and Nagasaki count? Okay, fine. No. Just, I mean, just like we didn't see uh, the people actually die on Alderaan. Things like that. Good point. Yeah, yeah. So. It, only on screen, like you can actually count them sort of things. No, and, and I think it's hilarious because one of the mildest movies uh, in the Marvel Universe in terms of like, it's it's campy, it's lighthearted, it's fun. <laughs> but, Deadliest movie but ever yeah, made with it's, on screen. It's a murder romp. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Cool. Uh, I, I just put galaxy. it in there because it was funny. Yeah, yeah. Check that out. Um, the next time you watch that movie, you'll probably watch it a little bit differently. You know, it'll be like at the end of the movie instead of Senseless being all, murder. Yeah, you'll be instead of being all happy, you'll be like Alderaan all over again. That's like, uh, did you ever see Hot Shots? Oh yeah, the yeah. on-screen death count, or was that Hot Shots Part Two? I don't remember. I don't remember either. But yeah, Part I know what you're talking D. about. Do. All right, now we're going to talk about DC. Um, we've Finally. Got, we, yeah, I know. You, it's like you're chomping on the bit to get to the DC keep, section, and we've only got three relatively minor thing um, for DC. So whatever. Uh, Batflick, um, that is Ben Affleck, gives us insight into Deathstroke and his role in the Batman. Um, did we talk about that on the show already? It's going to be we called the Batman. To, we, uh, nah, I don't think we've actually nah, we, hit you, it. You could probably talk. Go to our Twitter and check that out. Um, but yeah, the next movie they're calling the Batman. I presume because they could not get a studio to sign off on the goddamn Batman. Probably. Yeah. Um, the deal is, is that. Uh, Affleck actually talks a little bit. Um, it, this is a, a a little clip of an interview and whatnot. Yeah, it's not exclusive to us. In fact, we pulled this from the Nerdist. Yeah, which you'll find in the show notes. Thanks, Jessica Chobot. Thank anyway, you. Uh, this is kind of cool because he just basically talks about bringing Deathstroke in and how he feels like Deathstroke is probably um, for the story he's telling the penultimate like arch nemesis for Batman in this. And really, when you stack the two of them up together, like one of them is like one of the deadliest assassins ever created the other one is batman like yeah. their skill set and their move sets like things like that very very similar um, I, I could really see this being amazing just because of what you said like um you know the joker is sort of the penultimate batman villain but when it comes down to a fist fight or something like that the joker loses every time every single time and so i think this batman one of the things that really stuck out uh so far is the hand-to-hand combat physicality so- sorts of things and i think that you putting deathstroke in a movie is a fantastic way to showcase that so here's the thing this this particular uh, link that's in there is actually a link to the Nerdist News, which is a, a video. Yeah. Um, and it's Jessica Jobot talking about this. One of the things also mentioned is that uh, there's a connection, possibly, between Deathstroke and Amanda Waller. Because we know that, obviously, Bruce Wayne has a connection with Amanda Waller. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we know that because some of us have seen I still Suicide have not Squad, seen Suicide but Squad. there is a connection. I, it's not a far cry from anything that I've ever seen. So, um, One of the rumors is that this movie, The Batman, was supposed to have several of Batman's rogues in it. Yeah. The connection that's being drawn now is that perhaps Amanda Waller recruited, recruited Deathstroke to lead a new Suicide Squad comprised of the Joker, the Penguin. Wow. That'd be interesting. Else. That would be... It would be nuts... It would be I mean, that, incredibly hard to do well, but I think if anybody can, it's going to be Ben because I don't think Ben is going to do a movie that doesn't come off well. Like that's 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 his thing. Like he didn't direct 
Dawn of Justice. No. To its detriment. <laughs> um, and I, I don't even get the feeling that he was responsible for a lot of the writing in it. And, I, no. and you know, those are two talents that he definitely has. Like, I, I'd almost argue he's a better writer or director than he is a, a um, actor, um, which is saying something because he's a damn fine actor, too. Um, so I just... I still have a lot of hope for this movie. I will say if they do decide to go a route like that and have multiple rogues in that, um, especially multiple big name rogues, that is going to be ballsy and incredibly difficult to pull off. Well, so if, if they manage to do it, that could actually be like the, um, you know, in much the same way that the Nolan universe has set, uh, set the tone for the DCU, um, you know, for the last 10 years, that could very well be, um, how, how they set the tone for the next 10. So that, that could potentially be amazing. Yeah, I am super excited for the Batman. And we also kind of know now after hearing the interview and seeing some other footage that the test footage that we saw of Deathstroke, probably actually not just test footage, probably from Justice League. Yeah, and uh, that looks amazing so far. So, yeah. I mean, there's there's nothing plot-wise in there, but uh, as long as they manage to keep a coherent plot around this, they've got so many other things that are going well for them um, for this movie. So, I, I, I'm not sure I'm more excited for many things uh, in the, you know, movie universe soon. Yeah. So, um, Batwoman gets another solo series in 2017. Yeah. Um, this I just threw in here because we've been reading Detective Comic Books, Detective Comics, yeah. uh, for a little while. DC's I'm actually a couple Detective issues Comics. behind. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I presume she's either going to be leaving the team or she's popular enough at this point that they're thinking about giving her double exposure in multiple books. So um, um, I've just I, I've just caught up actually on, on Detective uh, Detective Comics and she's good. I, I really like her. Like it, she, one of the things that I think that is interesting is they set her up as being a um, equal to Bruce. Yeah, um, very much so. Which has not been the case with basically any of the rest of the Bat family so far. Um, so that that they're doing that shows that they have a lot of faith in the character, and that it's playing so well is actually what's amazing to me. Like you can you can write whatever you want; it doesn't necessarily make it good. But I I really have enjoyed Detective so far, and have really been surprised by uh, Batwoman in particular because that's not a character that I particularly um, had any interest in before. So yeah, we are. Three or four issues now into the Night of the Monster Men storyline, which is a crossover between Batman, Nightwing, and Detective. So I haven't read any of them yet. I plan on actually starting that whole arc here pretty pretty quick. Probably tomorrow I'll yeah. start some. Um But yeah, just just thought that was interesting. Um the next thing is is a Legends of Tomorrow promo, which is a YouTube video that we posted um leading us into next week. Yeah. Um, so Legends of Tomorrow coming up. We, um, however, do have some TV news we're going to talk about um, sort of tangentially related in the CW verse. And that is The Flash and Arrow. Um, so we want to move into that. Yeah, let's do those two first before we wrap up the Luke Cage stuff. So. Yeah. Um, so The Flash came back this week. Um, one of the things that I think is going to be challenging about the season of The Flash is that they're doing a big Flash story in Flashpoint. So Flashpoint, of course, is the idea that um, Barry goes back in time, prevents his mom from getting murdered, and that changes the way the universe works. In the Flashpoint story that we know and love from the past, um, it really just fucks things up. Uh, so like reading the comics, it, it really just and fucks Flashpoint everything up. Flashpoint was huge in the comics. It was, I mean, a giant story arc and whatnot. Um and it, it's what led us directly into the New 52. This is interesting to me because we speculated at the beginning that we're like, well, we know the Flashpoint situation is going to actually take place over multiple episodes. 
we were wrong. Um, it's actually the aftermath of Flashpoint that we're getting in multiple episodes because the actual Flashpoint universe itself only existed in the one episode. Yeah. Um, and I'm not actually even sure how that works or how that's going to work. Um, so there's, first off, there's a lot of awesome things in this episode. Um, I really enjoyed watching it. Um, seeing the interaction between Barry, his mom and his dad, um, all together was really fun. Um, his mom, actually, I'm kind of sad she dies because I really like that actress. Um, and she's, you know, a welcome addition to the flash crew. <laughs> we might see her again. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I mean, she's going to keep showing up because if nothing else, by the end of the series, there's going to be like 19 different flashes and reverse flashes in her, in the room trying to kill her or not kill her as it were. Um, or prevent her death or, you know, keep her, you know, I think at this point there's something like at least six. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. This is, it gets a little convoluted when you start doing time travel stuff yeah. this much. Um, still really enjoying the story uh, of the, uh, the series and whatnot. My thing about this episode is I really thought that Iris knocked it out of the park in this episode. And oh, she I did. don't yeah. always say that about her character, but um, I really, really enjoyed her. Um, didn't see the end coming specifically um basically because i have my own opinions about how time travel should work and it didn't follow those rules yeah (laughs) so uh but i mean because we don't really know how time travel would work because nobody's ever done it yeah it's kind of one of those things where we can't say well you know that's bullshit so i just kind of take it as it is so um i really like uh the guy who plays the reverse flash the actual reverse flash the as actual in, not Wellsabard, but um the actual re- reverse flash Thon. yeah eobard Thon. um he's a lot of fun I, and i really like him on screen he's got a great presence i think for the limited amount of time that we've had him so far and so i'm kind of actually excited or hoping that he shows up more through as the series goes on especially because i mean um, he kind of has to at this point he yeah and he is um probably the primary flash villain i would say like he's the he's the flash villain that comes to mind just in general i mean if you're not going to go with captain cold and the and the rest of the rose gallery then then yeah yeah and well i guess speedster villain would be the best way to better way to put it then yeah. because i would it would be between him grod or um the rogues um and specifically captain cold so and for whatever reason you know mostly because of legends they've decided captain cold's not the way they're gonna go so um but yeah, he was a lot of fun in this episode, and I I, I like having him as a villain. Um, he's super strong in that role. So, yeah. um, but you know the the time travel thing that confused me too is you would think that um, r- you know writing that wrong in the the loop, which was Barry saving his mother. You know, this is another great line too. Um, the reverse Flash tells him, you know, by the end of this, you're gonna beg me to kill your mother. Um, and, you know, not quite, but yeah, basically, by the end of the episode, Barry's saying, you know, you, you got to go back and kill her. And so he does. Um, but presumably, I have to assume that Reverse Flash now screwed something up purposefully to fuck up Barry's life a little bit more. You know, because we, we end the episode with uh, Iris and Joe not on speaking terms. Yeah, and Barry not knowing what the fuck that was all about. Yeah. And I didn't see it coming either, although I noticed she was absent when he went back into the house and presumably like it was the same set of steps that we left him on at the end of last season. Yeah. Um, so that, that part was confusing to me, but, um, and, and where they came from, where that came from. I don't know. Um, then again, I don't know. Uh, She's been such an integral part of team flash kind of since season one too. And whenever, when they laid everything out on the line that, uh, it's who knows. Um, I think the big crossover that happens around episode eight, I think of this season 
Uh, we'll kind of wrap up those ends too. So I don't know how long we're gonna have to deal with this weird alternate timeline. Same. Um, but uh, Casey wasn't really into this episode. Like that was that was the thing that surprised me because this is one of the shows that like we actually make ourselves have time together and like sit down and watch it and whatnot. Yeah. And she wasn't really into it. We watched a show called Eureka that was on sci-fi a few years back. Uh, yeah, I like that show actually, but and that was also kind of weird because, and I know, I think I know where you're going with this, but go ahead. They, they did a, they did a, a, a time travel, uh, piece storyline in like episode or not episode in like season three or four. And like the timeline never got changed back and it just kind of, yeah, it was like continued on as though that was the norm. Yeah. They were just like, here are all these characters, you know, in love. And now we've changed them fundamentally. Um, and now that's the show you live with. Yeah. And so that's what she's, she's afraid is going to happen with the flash. And I, I understand the fear, but I also have a little bit more faith in Berlanti. Yeah. I think everybody's fine except for Hartley. Hartley's probably fucked. Yeah. (laughs) You're, you're bad again. Sorry, buddy. Um, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, I'm not so sure about that either. I think that what's going to happen is even if they do slightly change the history of this, so I could see them actually letting this one stick a little bit. Everything so far as we know is basically the same, and maybe we're going to find out it's not in the next episode. That could be, like you said, a plot point we go through until we hit the crossover, and then things are going to be sort of rectified. But I could actually see that they change some things about the characters um, in minor ways, but the dynamics essentially remain the same. So I could see there being a period where Joe and Iris have to somehow reconnect or whatever, and then they go back to kind of being you know that's pretty much what we know and love now but i think more than likely is we're just going to get back to the regular timeline in the crossover episode i don't want them to change iris's character on an elemental level like i Uh, i don't either i I like where her character is right now um and i even like the relationship between her and barry um that's what i was just gonna say i don't want to do the whole will they won't they for the next you know five seasons and that's going to be the mechanism for which they do this just let them have their day for fuck's sake as much as i don't want this to turn into elicity yeah which we'll talk about in a minute but this is see this is another thing like that's not necessarily elicity like we already know uh you know like if nothing else i'd give them points for following the canon like yeah um but uh the the other big thing that the flash has done so far really well is that they have not centered the show around that sort of bullshit and so that's one of the reasons why i don't necessarily like this change is because barry's character is one of those things that like he's not going to let if, like if he is in a successful relationship with Iris, it's not going to interfere with his. Yeah, he's his not work. suddenly going to be like, you know what? I don't want to be the Flash anymore. Just never mind. City doesn't have problems anymore because I have a girlfriend. Iris wouldn't let him anyway. Yeah, like, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I but, guess that maybe is because this show is written reasonably well most of the time. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Um, um, so weird first episode. Not not upset about it though. Like I'm I. That's the thing. Like, I think I sent you a text message Tuesday morning. I'm like. It's fucking Flash Night. Yeah. Like. <laughs> so I was, and I think at least uh, for the two of us, I was expecting a weird episode. In fact, this could have gone way weirder. Yeah. Um, and, and I almost, in fact, kind of hope it will. Like, I hope that that, you know, I, I actually kind of hope that that is the low point of the fallout from Flashpoint because they're really skipping a lot of the good bits if this is what they go to. Um, so I kind of think that we're going to see, four, uh, you know, basically six or seven episodes of Flashpoint sort of storyline, which means lots of alternate reality sort of flippery do well, that's the thing flashpoint is over we're more in the new well, the, 52 
aspect of things now. Yeah. So I just could not see them after all this goodwill they built up uh, and, you know, having us love all these characters. I could not see them deciding that they're going to completely wreck it for a long period of time. I do think that most likely when we get to the season crossover or the, the um, you know, episode seven in the season crossover, we're uh, going to, you know, go back to, you know, quote unquote normal. Yeah. Well, and we haven't seen, there's no changes in any of the other shows yet that we've seen. I mean, we've only seen one other show, that being Arrow. And let's talk about that. Yeah. Arrow, man, um, did not actually hate this episode. I was prepared to hate it. I was going in, watching it, and thinking, oh, man, why am I even doing this to myself? But I actually kind of liked it. Yeah, I, I was actually, I sat down on the couch, I put my balls on the coffee table, and I had the staple gun like ready yeah you're like if i need to forget the pain of arrow i can just you know all i had to do is yep just squeeze and then you know whole different kind of pain yeah but uh no actually really enjoyed the storytelling of this episode um it is i don't know um let's just jump into the meat and potatoes like is felicity's boyfriend the the new big bad yeah, I think it's not altogether impossible. <laughs> One of the rumors that's going around is the big bad's going to be Tommy, and I really, really fucking hate, hate that they're uh, the idea that they're going to do that, and I really hope they do not because Tommy has been one of the most meaningful deaths um, th- of the character uh, of the show so far. And that happened way back in season one. So, and they need to not undo that. Like, no. I can understand the temptation to undo that, and people will be like, "Oh my gosh, it's Tommy! Isn't he supposed to be dead?" Um, yes, the answer is yes. He's supposed to be dead. It wasn't ambiguous at all. It fueled a lot of motivation for the character, and it wasn't one of the women to die on the screen. So, just let him stay dead. Unless this is part of the whole flashpoint thing. Very well, possibly could be. Could be. But um, you or- know, if you're going to bring anybody back from the dead, it better be fucking. Laurel. Yeah. Um, I also thought, you know, there was a lot of things that when I was watching this, I was kind of thinking like, okay, somebody, you know, I don't know if that, you know, Googs is still the showrunner and Miracles is still the writer. So, um, but I have to get it. I, I got the sense that somebody's pulling some strings there because there were a lot of things that were, um, fixed not quite fixed but sort of downplayed that we've been complaining about so for example the elicity bullshit was notably light in this episode um they're sort of introducing a new uh boyfriend for felicity by the end of the episode in fact one of the only things that pissed me off about this episode is that should have been a throwaway in the middle somewhere and they kind of finished off the episode with it like that was one of the reveals yeah which was kind of like Guys, we knew that before the season started, though. Yeah, so. and number two, who gives a shit? Like, if the biggest thing you can do in a superhero show is give me some relationship drama, you're doing it wrong. Um, yeah, that's that's the thing. Is kind of like that conversation that Oliver was having with Diggle via Skype or yeah. whatever it was at the end. He's like, uh, "How's it going over there in your active war are zone? You, are you gonna do? Are you know? Are you and Felicity gonna get back together?" And he's like, "Oh, I don't know." And the, like, it shows Felicity with another dude, and like. Yeah, and the way they presented that, they made it seem like it was kind of sorted and whatnot. But like, they're broken up. Yeah, no, like, no questions. Yeah. Like, she's um, still on the team. Makes sense. They, they can still do that. You know, like, this is kind of one of the reasons why, um, although I have no ill will towards Emily Bett Rickards, I kind of just want them to write the character off entirely because they've sort of poisoned it for me. Like, every time she's on screen now, it's kind of like, yeah, I didn't, but you're still I, annoying the shit out of me. No, she didn't bug me as much this episode because she was just like, she was actually kind of the logical point in this one, which was like, Oliver's like, no, I don't want another team. I don't want another team. I want my old team back. And she's like fuckhead yeah. they're gone yeah like, <laughs> like by the way there's this thing called denial and you're in it um yeah yeah so but anyway they they obviously noticeably lighter on the felicity drama bullshit um which was a welcome addition or change um the other thing that i really liked is you know um i think arrow uh ollie rather fired more arrows in this episode than he did in the entirety of season four at 
at, supposed good guys even. Yeah. Uh, um, so I like that Ollie. I like the badass Ollie that's like, uh, by the way, um, you know, except for the, you know, the funny part is like when they, you know, pretty obviously ripped off Batman <laughs> and they're like, what gives you the right to do this? And I, I was for sure waiting for him to I'm say, I'm not like, wearing hockey pants. Yeah. <laughs> and instead he's like, they already used that line. So I shoot you in the air, a leg with an arrow, you know, yeah, you're yeah. going to elevate that. Yeah, which actually was a badass. Like you know, other than it felt, other than that, it felt a little bit derivative. It was a little cliche. It but... was it was kind of badass, and I kind of like that part. Um, but the other thing that they're reintroducing is sort of this conflicted Oliver that is uh, thinking, nope, I should just fucking kill him. Like that's... the last time I didn't just fucking kill him, uh, Laurel died. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, I actually, and it was so reminiscent of season one. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I mean, because I mean, he breaks ways. their necks the same way, but I mean, yeah. Um, what what this led to is probably the uh the part of the show that was my favorite part which was really good exposition on Thea's character. Yeah, um they did a good job I think with Thea um and that was interesting to me. Although this is another sort of like Guggenheim doesn't realize that he just wrote something completely contradictory like 3 episodes ago. So in this episode uh Thea is you know basically the one who is saying like I don't need to, you know I don't want to kill we shouldn't kill blah 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 and like two episodes ago it was like Thea's like you know bloodthirsty ready to kill everything so and I don't really th- ever think fair, they... that was like Lazarus Pit yeah but I also don't think that that got explained very well if they cured her they didn't explain it well at all yeah so unless like, that happened with Dark but I mean I, I don't know I was knows. I was probably so drunk during most of that that I can't remember yeah. I, I was like drink every time that um something stupid happens and you know obviously now I can't remember half the season and and then you you pushed play yeah. and you're like oh god take a drink yeah. <laughs> no um yeah no I really liked Oliver no I really liked drink. the uh the uh the Thea stuff going on um, because she's just like, yeah. Um, when when did killing get put back on the table? He's like, oh, basically when Laurel died. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I like how there's like no bullshit about it either. He's just like, nope, that was a fuck up. And like, uh, like it wasn't like he's you know like something they've got to work through. Or he's like, well, you know, I've decided to kill and blah blah blah. It was like, nope, this is exactly why. You know. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of an interesting way to go too. Plus, I think it, it gives credence to her decision to leave yep. a little bit more. Although I think I want to say in the finale, it felt more like she was leaving, like going away. Yeah. And then uh, we come back this season and she's totally like running interference for his mayoral duties so that he yeah. can still be Green Arrow, but he's constantly late and whatnot. There's there's some pieces of the show that are still very much Guggenheim-y. Like, so yeah, there's definitely some things that are still um, sort of like Guggenheim-y and like, what are you doing? Um, but this was by far the strongest episode that I've seen at least since the early part of season four. Um, is I do remember. I'd say mid season three. Yeah, <laughs> mid season three is probably if we're, um, yeah, probably that's probably the last time that I was actually this hopeful about it. But I do remember at least starting off season four and thinking, well, maybe what they're doing isn't completely retarded, uh, and then quickly being proven wrong. But you know, here we are. Yeah, I mean, obviously we have another show coming up in a couple of days, and we'll figure it out at that point. Yeah, kind of a direction where it's going. Um, I, I'm with you. I hope it's not Tommy. Yeah, I hope it's Felicity's boyfriend. I I do think uh, that would make a little bit of sense. Like I, I kind of want that to be the case. Like or that they're bringing in a new character in some way. I, um, you know, I can see the the allure of trying to bring back somebody from Oliver's past or whatever. But if they're gonna do that, it shouldn't be Tommy. Let Tommy stay dead. 
That's what yeah. needs to happen. If you want to undo somebody's death, um, make it Laurel because that was just an, an absolutely dog shit retarded uh, move. So yeah. Well, I mean, we all know there's no more good green green arrow and black and stories. Yeah, unless you're writing a comic book that's selling better than it ever has. Yeah, or anything like that. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, unless unless that. Yeah. It, it, unless there's an obvious and clear audience for that. What? Um, that's been proven by sales. Stop it. Are you messing everything up over there? Um, I just lost control of my tablet. Yeah. Um, so if you didn't know, Matt is actually IT by trade. Um, <laughs> um, but what do I know? And this is me getting him back for making fun of me screwing up Markdown. Um, all right. So we want to talk about Luke Cage. Yeah. So the last time we talked about Luke Cage, which was last week, I think we'd watched up through. Actually, I'd watched more than you had. Yeah. Um, we, I, you were on like seven up, and I was on three or four. You caught up to me the next day. Yeah. Because um, for those of you listening at home, if you didn't know, we had a sleepover last week. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember we talked about that on the show, but um, uh, my daughter gets a little gun shy about staying over at people's houses and Matt's daughter, um, you know, was, was chomping at the bed to get her to stay. And so whatever. I was like, if if uh, if I stay there too, do you want to? Uh, do you will you stay and so Ellie said yes and so we ended up sleeping over and you know basically drinking a little bit more beer than usual and uh, watching Luke Cage so yeah and then the next day we had biscuits and gravy and watched more Luke Cage yeah this is a solid solid Sunday actually yeah that's yeah. how I like to spend my Sundays um and then you actually ended up finishing before I did. Um, yeah, the, you had real life obligation, I think. Um, yeah, I didn't get to. I had. I had. I went to Newport last Monday because my daughter, my oldest daughter, plays volleyball and she yeah, had a game that's, over there. That's what my wife. My wife was like, "Why the fuck are they going to Newport right now?" And I was like, "I'm pretty sure it's because Emmy's got a volleyball game." Which is here's the shitty part about it. It's like she missed school on Friday that week yeah. or the, the week before because she was sick. Well, she didn't get her eligibility sheet turned into her coaches that week, so we went to Newport. To watch my daughter sit on the bench and not get to play because she didn't get her shit done on time. Well, that's exciting. Uh, we went to the beach. Yeah, that's fun. And I um, mean, and the Oregon beach is basically one temperature ever, which is like cold and fucking windy. So I pulled out the Pokemon Go though, um, because I was at the coast and there's a shit ton of Pokemon in New York. Yeah, New- Newport, not New York. Yeah, Newport. And um, so I, I, I think I caught like five new Pokemon that I hadn't caught before. Oh, wow, that's cool. Did some stuff. Um, much to my wife's dismay because she hates it when I play that game. But yeah, I don't dust it off very often anymore. But no, I, I, you know, I think the last time we did was when uh, Bryce and Sam were down and we were, you know, playing while we were walking over to get some beer. So yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, Luke Cage. We finished the season now. I'm sure you're done as well. Yep. Yeah, I'm done. And uh, the the short of it is, yeah, it's so good. It I like it was so good. Here's the thing. Um, where I had left off the last time we recorded, and we didn't talk about it, is that Luke Cage had gotten shot by a... Yeah, okay, one second. We should probably drop in a spoiler warning right now. If you haven't seen Luke Cage, or you plan on watching Luke Cage, and you don't want to hear any spoilers whatsoever, you should skip ahead a little bit, um, because there's a very good chance that we're going to spoil lots of things, because it's really hard, actually, to talk about some of the better parts of the show without spoiling some stuff. I mean, if you don't know that already about our show, I mean, whatever, but... I, maybe you're listening for the first time. Who knows? Yeah. We're going to spoil some shit. So he got shot by a... Uh, what What are those bullets? The Judas. The Judas, the Judas bullets. bullets. That's right. So um, I don't know how the mechanics of this work. Uh, but uh, anyway, he got shot and it blew up in him. And there was shards and shit that were yeah, uh, doing some shit. 
Yeah, so he got it, shot twice actually. It is essentially that like it, um it there, there was a little video clip of them testing a, one of the Judas bullets and it hits a guy and uh you know basically he explodes and there's guts everywhere and so for Luke um it just means that rather than exploding he gets a bullet in the gut and it explodes inside and he's got shrapnel and shit like that floating around. So yeah. um so we actually have to go back a little bit before that I think because one of the bigger twists in this is Oh, that's right. Because we didn't talk about this last time. Yeah. Um, so we've been setting Moses. up. Co- yeah, we've been setting up Cottonmouth. Uh, we've been setting up Cottonmouth, uh, Mr. Stokes, uh, to be the bad guy. Um, and there's some mention of Diamondback, who I knew was going to pop up again somehow. Shades works for him. Yeah, Shades works for Diamondback, and I kind of expected that that might be something that like we don't exactly see him this season. Like, like you know, like he's the Mister Claw from Inspector Gadget. Of like, we don't see him. Um, until uh you know say next season and he's the big bat for next season and cottonmouth was going to write out the season yeah but it turns out that's not the case at all because cottonmouth gets a little lippy and gets killed in like episode six or seven i i think it was the same episode he got shot yeah um Um, there's there's a couple things that that happen in this uh some really good storytelling oh yeah, Um, yeah yeah claire's back i think by episode five i want to say somewhere around there yeah um, Claire actually takes a bigger role, a much bigger role in this. And uh, again, spoilers, she gets her name. Um, it, uh, you know, I wanted to text or tweet when it, when I first watched that scene, yeah. like you know, but I didn't want to ruin it for you. But yeah, she's officially referred to as the night nurse. Yeah, yeah, yep. I um I enjoy her character quite a bit. Um, I was actually texting Eddie the other day because instead of finishing Luke Cage, I watched a movie with my wife. I watched um. Um, uh, what the hell is that movie? Uh, Free State of Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah, you told and, me about that. Uh, Cottonmouth is actually, uh, a, a, an important character in that. He plays, he plays an escaped slave named Moses. Yeah. And, uh, he, guy's a good actor because those are two completely different roles and do, he, he does really well in both he of them. He is, actually, that was going to be one of the things that I wanted to mention, um, especially in the scene where they have Pop's funeral. Um, yeah. and uh, both Cottonmouth and Luke give their speeches. Um, one of the things that I didn't realize right away, but that I, you know, like they both give their speeches and you're supposed to feel like Luke is the triumphant one and he's, you know, basically put Cottonmouth in his place and whatever um, because Cottonmouth gives a really good speech. I realized I didn't really feel that way because Cottonmouth just completely outclasses um, the dude that plays Luke. Um you know, which not to say he's bad or anything like that. I like, I really love the actor who plays Luke, but that guy is so good. Um, Luke Cage isn't supposed to be eloquent either. So that helps. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say, say, yeah, whatever. It's just to me watching it. Um, the guy that plays Cottonmouth is clearly a, a better actor. And so it, the way he delivered that scene a little bit had me walking away thinking, you know, like I'd almost still side with Cottonmouth. So yeah, um, Luke, Luke is, you know, the, and the actor that plays him are, are perfectly good. Um, the problem is the the guy that plays Stokes is, is really good. Um, so that I think w- uh, shows up a little bit. Um, but you know, nothing, nothing that's particularly detrimental. It's just that one scene I remember watching and thinking, you know, they, they should have done that a little bit differently because I actually kind of felt like Cottonmouth kind of got one over on Luke and that's not the way that scene should have played at all. Um, so anyway, I love the way that they set up the relationship between Mariah and Stokes. And I, I really like that episode. I think that's actually the episode that we watched over here after we did the show last yeah. week. Cause I'm pretty sure that's the one where you're like, you need to see this one. You, um, and that's where Stokes gets his backstory. And, um, man, it is, it is sort of tragic and beautiful and, and kind of, you know, a, a great way to set him up. It, it's funny because you really become sympathetic 
yeah. for his character only to watch him die like as soon as that episode is, is coming to an end um at the hands of his cousin mariah who you find out things about too like there's a lot of reveals in that particular episode there is um and those are also pretty amazing like i really love the backstory that we get we finally get to meet uh what's her name mama something mabel mama mabel mama mabel yeah, yeah we get to meet mama mabel um she's she's quite the character delightful old lady makes sugar cookies for the neighborhood kids cuts their fingers off if they sell crack yeah um so that that was fun um well, the only the thing that makes sense homework. about that scene what's that the only thing that didn't make sense to me about that scene is she cut the dude's finger off and then he gets taken out and killed like really yeah it wasn't really all that useful at all like you have more evidence now to cover up than you would have normally like and it doesn't make that much sense anyway if you're gonna kill him like um yeah so yeah mama mabel is is quite the character and she's been hinted at in this and they kind of you know one of the created harlem's paradise yeah one of the insults uh that gets leveled against mariah is she's like mama mabel and you can see pretty clearly through this episode why that's not a good thing um and why she takes offense i think a little bit to that uh, uh, and by the end of the season, you know, Mariah is actually one of my favorite arcs in the season because by the end of the season, Mariah basically is, you know, fully stepping into that role as Mama Mabel. Yeah. Um, so that 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 was, I think, fun because previously she was just like a shady politician, but now now it's you know like she's full on like nope she's crooked as shit you know yeah um um I, let's talk a little bit of shades. Yeah, Shades, man. So Shades, Shades, uh, who we know from um, Sons of Anarchy as Juice. Um, Theo Rossi. Theo Rossi. God, he's good in this. He's really good in this. Um, he actually is kind of the driving force behind uh, Mariah for a little, for a good portion of the time. Like he steps in after she uh, after she takes out Cottonmouth. Yeah, and uh, cleans that whole thing up. Saves himself some blackmail. Uh, yep. You know that man. He's good. Like I, I love. Really I love the the cold, calm way he's instructing her to you know do things immediately after and as they go through like their relationship, even towards the end when I think Shades reveals that he's got the evidence and can blackmail her if he wants to. Like the way that he talks and delivers those lines is it was so fun to he's, watch. He's fucking fantastic. Yeah. Um, this this kind of leads us into the story arc where that I kind of started with too, with Luke getting shot with the Judas bullets um, by uh, Diamondback, actually, yeah. who we meet finally, and it doesn't take very long before there's a reveal there where he basically says, "No, I am your brother," because it turns yeah. out um, uh, Carl Lucas's dad was not exactly um, a a good Christian pastor. <laughs> not exactly, because uh, he he did have an affair and got diamond back out of it yeah um it was kind of funny to me too the way that they set that up because at first luke like doesn't remember and then he goes to alabama is it alabama georgia georgia Georgia. the south he goes to the south back where he's from um i want to say it's georgia atlanta i think anyway he goes back to that and um uh the church that you know his 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 uh, father ran and basically goes into his mind palace and uh, you know remembers that yep no that's pretty likely like yeah. I had dismissed all these things before but yeah he's he's definitely my brother um, and they also I, find him and Claire find the, the doctor that performed the original experiment on him that, that uh, turned him into what he is yeah that actually was a really really good arc um, it, good good Claire time during that arc because Luke Cage was was very incapacitated during most of it so gotta say there's nothing more tragic than uh when uh luke gets taken away before they can go get some coffee 
Yeah. Like that that's gotta be the the biggest hit Luke Cage took the entire season was uh when when they were going to get coffee and instead he gets dragged off. Oh, at the very end? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um the the doctor piece was was important though because it actually kind of plays in toward the end too. Um basically though what happens is um they go they recreate the experiment and and heal him from his injuries from the Judas bullets and whatnot. So I can't remember if this is the same episode. It's definitely right around this part, but this is another thing that I love that they did, I thought, spectacularly well. If you go back and uh, actually look at what Luke Cage looks like in the comics, especially like his intro, his original... You're talking episode three. Oh, am I? Did we talk about that on the last show? No, because you hadn't watched it yet. I think you'd only watched the first two. Yeah, if we did talk about this, I'm sorry, but man, I was so impressed with the way that they managed to fit his old costuming in yeah. there and made it make sense in in uh, 2016 and uh, made that relevant. Uh, you know, he, he obviously it's not what he ends up wearing for the rest. Of, like episode Luke's- three is almost entirely flashback, and so that's when you actually see the experiment getting performed on him, and you see him escape from prison and whatnot. Yeah, but, but Luke's uh, basically. Um, his uniform's a hoodie for the whole rest of the the season, so it was really kind of cool seeing him go back and get his, you know, the classic, the crown. I can't remember what they call it, the tiara. I think is what yeah. it says. And, um, and the the famous line, "Sweet Christmas." Yeah, which I've been saying this. I've been saying that all week, especially one of the people I'm, I work with um, is a nerd, and and she watches all this stuff, but she hasn't had a chance to watch Luke Cage. So I keep dropping that line, "Sweet Christmas." Uh, and and the other day she looks at me and she goes, you know, I haven't seen Luke Cage yet. And I was like, yeah, that's why I'm doing it. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, Sarah, you still need to watch Luke Cage. Um, but man, the, there's, you know, that's just another thing that I think that the MCU and not just the MCU, uh, um, but especially the Netflix Marvel properties has nailed. Like they've managed to take these um, characters who were, I don't know, I, I'm not following Marvel. You want to say B characters. Yeah, it, I mean, but more or less. But I mean, then I, you see Dare, them on screen and you're like, "Well, the B only character one. isn't fair because these guys are good." Yeah, Daredevil's the only one that I wouldn't necessarily call a B character, and even then, Daredevil's not. Uh, you know, like he's not one of the Avengers proper most of the time. <laughs> it's not like people are like, "Well, Thanos is invading. Well, go get Matt Murdock." Yeah, yeah, like he his, he gets a name drop a lot of the times, just in the way that like Claire did it in Luke Cage. Like, you know, I I know a really good lawyer um, down in Hell's Kitchen, sort of thing, um, but it's never usually like. Um, exactly like you said you know thanos is in town we better go get matt murdoch yeah um and for sure luke cage and jessica jones like i think for most people they probably um have no idea who those characters are uh leading up to these two shows but the uh, marvel's just done such an amazing job in netflix especially in bringing those characters relevance yeah no anyway. i agree um the so basically what we have is the we get the doctor fixes them um, just to kind of get us back to the story. And I'm not going to go detail for detail, but one yeah. of the important things we find out in this is that there's, they have Reva's flash drive still. That's how they're able to recreate the experiment. Yeah. One of the things on there, though, is also a file that reveals that Reva did know about the fight club that was happening. Reva and Reva was basically grooming Luke to and, be another um, experiment. Like she says something along the lines of like, uh, he's going to be the one or something yeah. like that. Um, and so he finds out that even after the whole thing like he was kind of being lied to although she didn't necessarily we don't know how much longer they were together before she died um i get the feeling that it's fairly soon after that like she was probably weeks away from death when uh in the last scene chronologically that we see luke and reba together yeah so we don't know necessarily that she lied to him 
intentionally or that she kept it to him like we don't know that she wouldn't have told him on her own yeah it's uh, it's sort of hinted or maybe even implied that reva was gonna come clean um but yeah the the short of it is um the the picture that luke has had in his mind of reva for the past however many years is sort of uh not quite shattered but definitely warped warped cracked whatever um and uh you know, one of the most interesting parts I think of, of the show is that relationship because we knew leading into um, Luke Cage from scenes in Jessica Jones that, that, that Reva was going to be a big deal for Luke and how about how they came about and all that kind of thing. Um, and so it's kind of sad that it turns out that, you know, she was a little bit crooked in the end. We also know by the end of the series that Luke Cage pulls a lot of tail. He does. I mean, that's not really all that surprising to look at him, but um, <laughs> I mean, he he's gotten Reva now. He's gotten Jessica Jones. Uh, you know, he was he was inches away from Rosario Dawson. Uh, yeah. Damn, damn, that's son. a big notch in your bedpost right there. Yeah. Um, plus, he was hitting Misty Knight at the beginning of Misty the night. Yeah. yeah. Who um, we'll talk about in a minute, but let's talk about the final the final beatdown between yeah. um, Diamondback and Luke Cage. See, this is one of the things where I say I'm excited for Iron Fist because this fight didn't... I didn't care about this fight very much by the end. I would have cared about this fight more had there been a little bit more exposition about the suit that Diamondback was wearing, like where it came from, what the fuck it was, how it worked. Like, But there was none of that. It was just a big fight between Luke Cage and his brother who has a suit that makes him a tough guy. Yeah, basically Luke Cage. We saw know. the gauntlets earlier on in the season, but like that's it. We didn't see the full-on suit. So... I gotta say, um, this is one of the weak points of the, this season for me. Like, uh, I kind of think I would have con- rather they continued along with Cottonmouth being the big bad and and uh, left Diamond back off the table for a little while, um, because I, I I felt like or the not way they brought him in until right here. Yeah, the thing that I I felt I felt kind of like Diamondback was a little bit of a letdown. Um. And his story felt a little rushed uh, to me by the end of the thing. So um, it, it was still good. You know, it, it's certainly not like uh, Arrow. I wouldn't watch it bad or anything like that. Um, it just felt like they could have done that a little bit better. And especially because I liked Cottonmouth so much better than I liked Diamondback as a villain. Overall, I would have I would give the entire series of Luke Cage an A minus. The only thing keeping it from being an A plus is the last three episodes, the flow of the last three episodes. Yeah, that's fair. Um and it it's because of the lack of explanation about the suit like there has to be a story that's kind of that part c- of it i mean i think they just gave a generic like this is a hammer tech suit designed to beat you yeah you know, that's like- the, that's kind of their their dose ex machina through the whole series though is oh it's hammer tech yeah same thing with the reaper the the judas bullets i want to say reaper bullets but the judas bullets yeah. is the same sort of thing like oh well we've got uh these things that you know seem like designed to take out luke cage and then the other you know one of the other things that was a sort of annoying is like they go on and on about how the re- the judas bullets are like a bajillion dollars per per bullet and that's sort of a plot point around episode six or seven like oh i don't have another shot this is the only other shot i have because i've only got two because that's how fucking much they cost and then by the end of the season the whole police force practically is outfitted well, they, with they Judas explain bullets. That. They explain that, though, because they, they took the core materials of the one that he had left and, and divided it amongst other yeah, bullets. So they wouldn't have just, been as powerful. But it just, that, I think even that's kind of... That was kind of a... It meh, was it was meh. a MacGuffin. But yeah. um, the the thing that I really enjoyed is the the chemistry between Claire and him in the cop shop. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially when the agents came to take him. Yep. Um, <laughs> and I really... I really liked his line uh, when he was talking about 
And she's like, I thought you didn't like coffee. And he was like, but I heard Cuban coffee is yeah. particularly <laughs> exciting or something like that, though. And she's like, that's the cheesiest thing you've said. Yeah, but you can also met. tell she was like... And then not- she was like, but you're right. Yeah. Like- <laughs> you can also tell that she's saying, like, that's the corniest thing I've ever heard. But she's also like, I would do you on that table right now if I had a choice about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was that. And he was his rapport with the agents in the, in the vehicle was really fucking spectacular when he was like, oh, I was about to go have a dark cup of coffee until you guys screwed yeah. that up yeah I, th- I can't remember how they said but it was pretty obviously innuendo on both sides and he's like i was about to go have something hot and dark but you guys messed that up for yeah. me or something like that and he's yeah. like oh we can hit dunkin donuts on before we hit the bridge and he's like i ain't the same yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't, maybe you're not getting this analogy you know like could you bring her back around and then you- donuts was a euphemism asshole yeah. um, <laughs> or coffee coffee, coffee was a euphemism so um th- those are two of my favorite fro- probably catchphrases is um getting to ask people if they ha- want coffee by the way i think i retweeted this but this is probably the funniest thing i've ever seen is the luke cage uh, uh twitter asking somebody you know like if they like coffee um that was amazing um and uh sweet christmas like i'll probably be saying sweet christmas forever and that's super funny too because that was one of the things that luke cage said and they actually gave him a plausible reason for being like uh not swearing and being you know clean clean about that too so man did do i love that um yeah. Um, here's, here's what I wanted to see with this, with the Misty Knight character. Misty Knight in the comic books has a cybernetic arm. Yeah. I wanted to talk about this too. When they shot her in the arm. I was like, they're doing it. I was like, that's where they're going to go. And then they totally didn't. Yeah. Um, what they did do though, is in that very last scene in, uh, Harlan's paradise when she walks in. She was full on Afro Misty Knight that you see in the comic books. Yeah, see, that's another thing. Like, I was, I was super impressed that, like, again, they managed to take something like that and make it relevant and make it work, uh, and without seeming seeming overly contrived. Like, she was full on Afro, but it wasn't like, oh my gosh, that, that's a costume piece. It was like, wow, damn. I really liked her character. I, uh, like, I did that, too. That's the thing that, and I think that surprised me uh, a lot, considering like when it first started, I was like, yeah, you know, but take then it like. It. Well, no, even even their chemistry that first night when he was bartending. Yeah. I was just like this this chick's good. I don't know what she is yet, but she's good. I didn't realize she was Misty Knight at that point in time when yeah. I was, when I first started to watch, but um the only thing I can say about this show is Daredevil there was a resolution at the end of the season 1. Even season 2 there was a resolution. There's a resolution in Jessica Jones. This is the first one of these shows where we've got where it it's very open-ended. And I think that's intentional because you have to do that with Iron Fist, I think, because uh, Luke Cage and Iron Fist are are pretty hand-in-hand with Mm -hmm. one another. Um, Definitely think we're going to see Luke Cage in Iron Fist. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe not every episode. I don't think he'll probably be there as much as Claire was in in Luke Cage, but he's going to be there. Yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna see a little bit more um, of of con- the continuation of Luke Cage's story, I think, along with Danny Rand, um, leading us into the Defenders. So, I I'm okay with it because I understand where the story is supposed to be going overall. Um, but Harlem didn't really, <laughs> Harlem wasn't really a better place when he left it 
No. In fact, that's one of the things that I thought was interesting. Like to me, it seems like almost like they're setting up Mariah a little bit more to be a foil for Luke in the next season. Um, because you're right. It's not really a better place. I mean, Cottonmouth's gone and so is Diamondback, but Mariah's crooked, more crooked than ever. Shades is still right there. And Shades is right by her. Um, and they're still doing the same sort of shady shit in Harlem and probably even making worse because I think the big talk was, um, you know, bringing in more of the drug trade and stuff like that at the end, hooking up with the, uh, I want to say Cubans, but that's not right. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, I don't remember his name, but they were from uh, Spanish Harlem. Yeah, Spanish Harlem. Um, so anyway, uh, I guess in summation, Luke Cage, amazing. Uh, it, it was very good. This is exactly like I, I really love that what Marvel is doing with the Netflix properties because they're showing a completely different side from what we're seeing on um, the the. MCU so far very tonally different from what's happening even on the other TV properties like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and just in the best ways like they're really taking these properties seriously and the, you know it's just as intelligent as could be because they're managing to take these characters that previously nobody really has a particular stake or care about and making them relevant and making them interesting so I, I gotta say the, these are probably my favorite like in this genre they're probably my favorite superhero shows the only thing that I think that sets them apart a little bit from something like The Flash for me is purely that I only get them like a week or two out of the year. The other thing to me too is I I don't understand where some of the hate toward the show is coming from from the um the 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 people that are accusing it of being like white apologist propaganda because I don't get that at all. Like it's yes, it's set in Harlem and yes, the the cast is primarily black, but it's not primarily black in a way that like makes it's not making white people look bad either. You know what I mean? Like it's just telling a story from a different part of the society than what Eddie and I are used to seeing on a daily See, basis. And here's the thing. Um, I saw, I've, I've seen basically two sides of this coin. Number one is people that are being like, Oh man, I can't believe Luke Cage basically doesn't have any white actors in it. And then the other side of the coin is like, finally somebody's making a show for black people. Um, and so there's two things. Number one, I'm, uh, white as the snow is pure, you know, like uh, th- there could not be a whiter guy. It did not occur to me even for a second as I was watching the show that there's no white people because you know what? Doesn't matter for the story. Didn't get in the way in the story in the slightest. There are some white people in the show, but it's minimal. But we're also in fucking Harlem. I mean, like, when you break it down, all of the white people in the show are bad. <laughs> but yeah. But that's not like... But again, you know, like... First off, how much would we have to cherry pick to find, you know, uh, similar tropes where all of the white people are the good guys and the only black people or people of color are the bad guys in, you know, previously yeah. in other shows. So number one is I didn't even notice it. Uh, number two, I, didn't either. It, it, I had to actually sit should, here and think about it, that. Should so. anybody be upset that it's predominantly black? A show set in Harlem is predominantly black. I don't know. I guess if I were going to get that, my panties in a twist that much over it, I'd go find some demographic information. But generally speaking, I expect that most of Harlem is black. Like in the same way that in the towns that we live in, very very few people Harlem expects that most of Harlem is yeah. black I mean but in the same way that in the towns that we live in today you know, like me and you in real life there's not a lot of black people it just means that if we were going to do a show set in here I wouldn't expect half the cast to be black because I would it looks like a college brochure essentially like when you go to the college brochures and you know there's one white guy one Asian guy one Native American guy and one black guy yeah. um, you, or, you know sorry and uh, you know half of them are women or something like that like that's not the actual demographic you know for most of, of the United States so from from a white guy perspective if you're whining about that number 
number one, um, we've only got, I don't know, 7 million or 8 million other examples in the complete opposite direction of the thing you're complaining about. So if you're pissed off that there's one show that's predominantly black, go fuck yourself. That's like people complaining because the Cosby show was primarily a black cast. Yeah. Like, really? So, number one is, there's no reason that this doesn't make sense. Like, there's no reason that watching this, I was like, oh, this this doesn't make any sense. Like, one of the things that I already, like, there there's the other side of this coin, though, where, like, they're doing a remake of Akira, and so far, the cast members they've announced are, again, completely super white. You know, like, Scarlett Johansson starring in Akira uh, makes really no sense. And uh, if you think about it, it, it should take you out of the movie a little bit. Um, this is not the case at all with Luke Cage. Um, secondarily... Oh, what is that movie called? That's... Uh... They're calling it something different, right? Akira? Yeah. I don't remember. But I know they're doing a remake of it, and I know that so far they've cast you know predominantly white yeah. people, no, which I know what you're talking about. doesn't really make any sense. She got sense. a lot of shit for that, too. Yeah, and I don't necessarily know that Scarlet should get a lot of shit for it, but I do think that that movie should get a lot of shit for it. Well, that's like when they recast Tom Holland as Spider-Man, and like they cast another white dude. Like He got a lot of shit because people were really wanting Miles Morales at that point because Which, we'd already had two Peter Parkers. That's fine if you want that. But the the fact is that, again, it doesn't necessarily not make sense. Like it's not, it, it doesn't become a choice about color because in those, in that case, Peter Parker is by, by and large, like most people don't even know who Miles Morales is. No. Like, and casting Tom Holland doesn't mean we can't work toward Miles Morales at some point either. Like there's, they're not mutually exclusive. Right. And uh, if you wanted to get to Miles Morales, you would do it through a character like Tom Holland, who's clearly more of an ultimate inspiration Spider-Man. Um, and secondarily, they cast Zendaya uh, as Mary Jane. So, I mean, go ahead and take your white, white people, you know, whining yeah. about white people this casting is, off the table. I mean, it's, it's just the, as many people complain the opposite direction about that. I, so. I hate when people make casting such a big deal. I mean, there's, there's characters that yes, it doesn't matter if they're white or black. And if they've had a white dude or white lady, uh, play that character before then, and they have to recast it. There's no reason like any James Bond, like James Bond to me is not a white dude. James Bond to me is just a secret agent. Like yeah. his race has nothing to do with it. Idris Elba could be it would be a no brainer casting choice if they wanted to have him play James Bond. Sure, yeah, easily, easily, and it's it's not a big deal to me. But like for like Spider Man and casting Peter Parker, like you're not gonna cast a black guy and call him Peter Parker because you have other Spider Man characters that are of color that you can easily go I just, to. I just and, don't want it to be distracting. Like, that that's really the the summation of it. Like, if you're going to make a casting choice and you're deciding... Um, the Number one, I think it's wrong. Um, you know, this is another thing. Like, it's a big deal in the tech world right now. Everybody's talking about diversity. So, like, I was listening to a tech podcast the other day that was talking about a Google keynote compared to an Apple keynote. And they were saying, well, I was really impressed that the Google keynote was so much more diverse. And the first thought was that I had already read an article earlier that day talking about how... Marissa Mara, CEO of Yahoo, had basically flipped around from uh, where her staff was 20% men in, C- in in upper management positions to now 80% in less than, less than a year. And to me, that shows a clear agenda. They're not hiring the best person. They're hiring simply because of an innate trait like color, um, race, religion, whatever. And I think that's equally wrong. So I don't necessarily think you should go into a casting decision and say, you know what? You know what's going to be edgy and awesome you're if we both make good mary jane but black, you're mexican so yeah yeah or if we make mary jane black for no particular reason whatsoever what i think is better is if they go in and say is there anything defining about mary jane that really means that she has to be a white chick and i guess a lot of people would say well she's predominantly got red hair i'm just like okay fine we'll give you know so what if we give a black girl red hair or reddish yeah. hair 
doesn't matter. Like it, it, in the grand scheme of things, decisions like that don't matter. What I think is wrong is going into a decision saying, okay, we're going to cast a black person. Um, unless it's a defining characteristic of the character. Like, for example, if you had said, I'm going to cast Luke Cage and it's going to be a white guy, you'd be fucking wrong. Because the, the one of the things that makes Luke Cage is... Um, the fact that he is a black guy and a lot of the things surrounding him being black are story elements. So you can't recast roles like that, but when it's not a thing that factors in at all, who gives a shit? Yeah. Anyway, this is our second rant of the evening that everybody's probably throwing uh, shit at. It's, so. it's fine. And it's a lot like our, uh, the same rant that we had when it came to um, casting uh, fucking what's her name as the ancient one. Uh, yeah. Well, it's just for me, by and large, I really think that the ultimate overriding factor here is it color really shouldn't be a factor in most cases, except for if you're telling a story that is predominantly about something to do with color. So again, recasting the whole cast of, of Luke Cage and making him white, what doesn't make any sense because we know that, you know, Harlem is not predominantly white. I Um, think, I think if you're going to, if you're going to cast like number one, you're never going to make everybody happy anyway. Like if they had cast the ancient one as an old Asian dude, they, there would have been a group of people that were accusing Marvel of being, um, overly racist stereotypical, stereotypical See, like that was racist, one of the things that know? i was going into luke cage or watching luke cage um that was a thing that i actually was thinking about a little bit during the show is is what i'm expecting to see something i'm expecting to see because <coughs> that's reality or am i expecting to see a stereotype and i'm getting a stereotype because there are very few moments where that i think is a little bit of the case like where i'm not sure if they're they're um <clears throat> being somewhat stereotypical or if the reason it's I think it's a stereotype is because it's just reality so anyway with the with those particular examples you know like the ancient one um yeah I don't know I, I guess going back on that I, I'd say that's a Told little bit one. of a that's yeah okay. it's a little bit of a controversial decision but on the same token I don't think it's really going to matter in the grand scheme of things well and here's the thing like they are being diverse though like Tilda Swinton is a woman playing the ancient one and the ancient one as depicted in the comic books has always been like an old Asian dude and yeah so they are diversifying and they're not taking an Asian role away from anybody because nobody had that role like that's the thing like we're, we're at a point now where 10 years ago Doctor Strange wasn't on the blip it wasn't a, yeah. it wasn't a blip on the radar of even being a movie and now we're so fucking jaded to the fact that we get comic book movies like multiple times a year they're like oh well great they cast a white chick yeah you know like they cast anybody as that role okay can we just not be happy about that like yeah um you know i, I don't know that that one i think is a little bit more uh, i argued in favor of it or at least in in indifference of it and i think i'm probably sticking there i don't necessarily think that that's a bad choice although i can't see at least why people are upset about that one but the one i'm thinking about is uh uh like many things i'm gonna have to fight side with uh sulu george takai because um, we had this conversation, I think, or maybe we didn't when we were talking about Star Trek Beyond. But one of the things they did with Star Trek Beyond is they made Sulu, the character, gay. Um, very obviously gay. I mean, it, it's not really a plot point in the movie. It, it is really just a throwaway. It's just kind of there. Yeah, it's, it's I there. I don't think we did talk about this at all. See, and the, thing that it, the only thing that sort of um, was a little bit annoying, and this is mostly because I'm a nerd, is I knew, I knew it was there basically to fulfill an agenda. Um, and, and I don't mind like it, it fine. Sulu can be gay, but Takai actually was the one that said, no, that was a dumb decision. Uh, yeah. Sulu's never been gay. There's never been any history of gayness. Like, I guess I'm flattered because you made him gay in homage to me, but that's, you and change the character. It, and if, like he felt like it was a token gesture and I don't think yeah. he's wrong. No, I don't think he's wrong either. It, it was definitely meant to be an homage and that's fine. 
Um, but just think about what you're doing with a franchise that's been around for literally 50 years at this point. I mean, and like some of those moves, I feel like are like if Michael Scott was making diversity diversity decisions, and I kind of felt like this making Sulu gay was one of those like, um, yeah, we need more of that. So you know, here let's just arbitrarily. Well, and that's the thing because the guy who played Sulu for the last 30 years doesn't need that because he is. Yeah, a gay Asian dude. Like he's yeah. he's lived it. Like he doesn't need that to happen on screen uh, for anything to be relevant. All he needs uh, from Sulu on screen is for Sulu to be important to yeah. the story in some way, shape, or form, which he kind of was. I don't know that he was necessarily as important as he has been in previous. Um, yeah, I get Shrek movies. But. And the the other thing, I think I was talking to my wife about this. Um, that one didn't really bother me. I, like I can see why uh, Takai doesn't like it, and uh, but that one didn't really bother me so much because it it wasn't really super overt. Like if they made him a super flamboyant, you know, like obviously fill a fill a checkbox sort of gay, that that would have been kind of lame. But that's the thing is, it was such an in passing kind of thing to me that I didn't even really yeah give it a what, second thought. What does bother me though is like when they decide to do that with characters where it makes zero sense. Like they they made Iceman gay, and. Uh, that's like not the character that we've gotten for the last, you know, 30 or 40 years or something like that. And completely the opposite. In fact. So, yeah, um, I would, that, much that's rather... more like Bendis just deciding randomly, like we need a gay character. So fuck it. It's going to be Iceman. Yeah. And that bled over into like current Iceman as well. Not just the all new. Yeah. Um, version of it, but rather than doing that, like well, I, because think... you can't unring it. You can't unring that bell either no, uh, without and... being c- come across as a homophobe. And I, and I think what they should have done rather than, than making Iceman gay. And here's the thing. I don't have a problem with a gay character. It doesn't bother me. I would rather have had them though, like bring North star back into the equation because North star is a gay character and has been gay for some time. Like you're not, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just have to actually, yeah, I sort of think with a lot of these characters, uh, when, first off, if it really has no bearing on the character and you decide to make him gay, fine. Um, th- I think that's a fine way to go in uh, many This was cases. like a four-issue story arc, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and it's it's ongoing. Like, I haven't read my X-Men books in quite a while, but it's still being addressed. But and- that, that one, to me, seemed more like a... Um, you know, forcing a round peg into a square hole sort of thing, um, which is why I'd, I, I guess I didn't really like that one as much. The other thing I think, too, is that... Um, one of the things that they, they, you know, like Saga, we're going to talk about Saga pretty soon, but there's a very uh, uh, open and obvious transsexual character. There's homosexual characters in the books. Um, none of that bothers me in the slightest because, because it doesn't, there's no history with any of those characters. Well, it, it, yeah. There's not, not only is there no history, but it's also presented as though it's something that's completely normal, which it is. That, and and that's, that's, that's the way I, I want to go with it. You know, like the, one of the things that I liked about uh, Star Trek, Star Trek is kind of the pioneer in having the first interracial on-screen kiss. And, which uh, is weird that they would be the ones that had the agenda to make Sulu gay. Like, isn't that, isn't that kind of an it's, odd twist of... Sort of. It's just more ham-fisted than like... Um, than it, than I want them to be about it's, it because like the Star early, Trek's always been socially progressive. It's like and that's one of the things I really like about it with its with the feminist agenda. Like yeah, just you don't need to say that. Just do like uh, Jessica Jones is. I, I would say equally you know if not more feminist, but they never come out and say, "Gosh, that's somebody my girl can look up to." You know, like yeah. just make the character be like stop yeah. stop using like you don't need to shoehorn your agenda into the character write good stories around these characters and then that stuff all happens on its own yeah ray ray from star wars is another fantastic example um she's an amazing character but they don't they're not ham-fisted about you know like 
Oh, she's John, a girl. She can't fly a starship, you know. Like John Boyega, another great example. Um, not yeah. that he's gay or anything like that, but just like but he's, he's black. He's, he's a strong black character, and it doesn't matter. Like he's yeah. like nobody looks at him and is like, "Oh, you can't fly the Falcon. You're black." You know, yeah. there's none of that in there. But I think so, that's the way that they. I think that's the way you treat it. That's the way you make diversity and things like that happen is by making it a natural thing and not making it a defining characteristic of a character. All right, that's our rant on that for the evening. Um, we're going to come Way back longer. and talk about Saga, and we're going to talk about, uh, you guessed it, He-Man and the Thundercats um, comic books. We'll be back in a minute. All right, uh, Saga. Uh, do we want to talk about Saga first? Sure. Yeah. So, Saga. Um, gosh, I love reading this book. I um, do, too. I, this, is, this is actually a holdover, because I forgot it came out like the week before last. Yeah, um, and so did I. Um, this is actually one of the the perils of reading a monthly book that takes breaks and stuff in between. Is I sometimes forget that it's even coming out. So, yep. um, uh, but man, it, it's it's like it's like a treat, like unexpectedly finding money in your pants or something like that um, when it does finally come out, and I enjoy it so much. So um, this issue in particular, I thought was really interesting um, because you know everything about Saga is kind of ballsy, um, and this this issue was no exception. So um, uh, yeah. Um, we pick up right where the last one left off uh, with the group of marmots. Yeah. Um, but one of the things this book does that I love a lot is it does um, a lot of time jumping like really well, like through narrative and whatnot. So um, the first page starts up essentially like minutes after we left on the last issue, but then like the next page we're six months in. Yeah. Um, and marmots have been living with the group now for a while yeah it was kind of really interesting how they transitioned that dialogue because the one scenes marco and alana talking and saying like do we really want to trust these guys and then six months later they're basically like live-in servants a little bit um you know certainly a part of the family sort of thing so well i mean it's it's yeah they're not necessarily servants because like you it's it's made very clear that like the ship could have taken off months or weeks before if they weren't using some of the resources to, yeah. to feed the the marmots and whatnot I don't know what they're really called. I just call them marmots. I don't know either. They look like tiny little, like, um, um, like goose. Goose. What does goose look like? He looks like a, uh, like an otter or something. Yeah, goose is goose is a little bit different. Yeah. Um. This is this is interesting though, because then um, there's the transsexual character that we talked about before, whose name I can't remember, and they don't say it very often. I never can either, so I'm sorry. Um. But it took me like ten issues to remember Marco and Alana. So whatever. yeah, that's true. Uh. Uh, but anyway, they don't. The, he doesn't trust them at all. Yeah, and uh, it, you sort of get that too because w- later on in the episode we find um, what's the the kid's name? I can't fucking remember. Hazel. Hazel. We find Hazel and one of the little marmot things um, um, basically killing bugs with magic. Brutalizing, yeah, brutalizing bugs. Yeah, uh, with with magic, which I thought was interesting too. Um, so uh, we know that Marco's race—I um, can't remember which side they're on. Cleve. Yeah, I think the they're Cleve, Cleve, right? The Clevians, the Clevelands. Uh, we know they they can do magic of sorts, and that's one of the uh, tactics they employ in war. So um, apparently, that passes on to Hazel as well, because they're basically you know murdering bugs with uh, magic. So that was kind of funny. Yeah, and Isabel walks in on that is not happy at all. Isabel, the the ghost girl. Yeah. Um and uh that that's actually kind of the big the big thing I think of this story is Isabel sort of tells Hazel she needs to stop doing shit like that and uh Hazel's like, Well you're not my mom and then runs off and then predictably of course the next, you know, couple of panels, um, you know, we're not sure if she's gonna get a chance to say she's sorry at any point because they they can't you know, she's not as uh um incorporeal as we would hope. Um Yeah. Um so we we 
we see Prince Robot and uh, Isabel actually kind of coming up with a plan because Prince Robot's going to go look for the last resources they need and whatnot um, and has to go through a couple different war zones to get there. And Isabel's like, why don't you just let me go because I'm fucking dead already and whatnot. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, turns out that was not the best strategy. Yeah, we run into, um, well, actually, um, I think we cut to a scene with the Will. Yeah. Who who uh, meets Gwen's uh, shapely but not unattractive wife. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, so that that's another sort of, you know, interesting thing in Saga. Like, um, I mean, there's not really a concept of sexuality. Like, we've had multiple homosexual characters in this book. We've got a transsexual character. Um, we have straight characters, too, with Alana and Marco um, being the, the, the primary ones. But that's one of the things that I sort of like about this and the way that I like Star Trek is that um, it just sort of is. Uh, sometimes I think Saga gets a little over the top with some of these things just because they're. I think they're going for shock value a little bit. Like, certainly in the last issue we talked about where there's basically just a giant dick shaft in, in and that's like half yeah. a page. Like you can tell they're clearly doing some of these things for shock value and they do that a little bit uh occasionally with some of the the, the sexuality issues and stuff like that. But well, um and the other thing too is Saga as a comic book is a lot like we are as a show. Like there is a very key um group that they don't give a shit if they read their book or not. Like it, and it's the same thing with our show. Like as much as we want listeners and whatnot, like I don't give a fuck if Donald Trump ever listens to my podcast or not. Like, yeah, you know what like, I mean, like, there's... And I'm sorry, but if you're a Trump supporter, you're just wrong. Like, just stop doing those things. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's not, it's not important to me that uh, those particular people of that mindset care about my show. Yeah, like, quite honestly, um, I'm sure the, the writers of Saga feel the same way. Like, if if you are so blatantly homophobic that you cannot read a story that has homosexual characters in it, they probably don't give a shit. Like, I'm yeah. just saying, they, they, they're, you're probably not their target audience. Yeah. So, um, so we, we, we meet that um, particular character who's, I don't even think we, we get her name if necessarily. If we do, I don't remember it, because like I said, it's got to be at least 10 issues before I'll try. The only thing we know is that uh, the will is actually actively looking for Lion Cat at this point. Yeah, which, which is I like strange um, yeah. because we don't know. It, it seems as though maybe he's sober now. Yeah, that's really ambiguous. I'm not sure like if we should be afraid of the will or not, but I kind of am. Like now, we're on on screen, so to speak. Um, he's just a little bit menacing. Like for a while there, I was I was a little afraid for Gwendolyn's wife. Um, uh, character there um, but nothing really goes sideways there so who knows and when he says a while I mean he's talking to like the 45 seconds it took him to read the three pages that she's on so yeah she's not in there for very long but I, I wouldn't have been surprised if like the will killed her um, but I was kind of glad she, they, that they didn't but uh, so we, we go from there to um, find out that Gwen is not there um, and we kind of leave the will pondering that notion for a minute um, and then we see Isabel actually trying to complete their plan and running into yet another freelancer that we've not met before. Yeah, I can't remember what their name With was. a pig. Yeah. He's they got have, a pig instead of a... They have a pig who can smell cleave, uh, or who can track people from cleave, and it's a um, conjoined, you know, like... One side's a a girl, one side's a guy, and only one set of legs. Uh, Presumably, yeah, yeah. So that that's that's interesting, if nothing else. Um, and uh, that's how they get tied up with um, 
ghost girl, whose name I don't remember again. Isabel. Isabel. That's how they get tied up with Isabel. And in fact, I didn't mean to do that, but literally, they, they lasso her, and she's like, wait, what the fuck? I'm not supposed to be able to... And they're like, you know, you, your kind's a little bit more um, um, vulnerable than you think. And so yeah. they tie her up, and then um, the, the, in the next page or so, they run her through with the sword. So And she sh- shatters into a billion pieces or whatnot yeah that, um, that final panel was just heartbreaking when uh hazel i guess feels that absence yeah um, because well they had to tether isabel to hazel to let her leave the planet and whatnot and so she's got a, a connection with her yeah so yeah um overall i i, I really like this issue i mean saga remains one of my favorite books to read so i hope it's not the last time we see isabel because i actually like her character and i she really can bring do to the table and i really do um if they're killing her for good then obviously uh brian k vaughn and fiona staples have a reason for doing what they're doing and i'm not going to question that because i've loved I the book so far don't get the feeling they are because there is a little hint in the end of the book that she's not gone gone um so maybe her her you know you know semi-corporeal form is but i get the feeling she's going to not i don't i don't think she's dead dead let's say that yeah she's comic book dead maybe but i don't think she's dead dead <laughs> comic book that is a good way to put it yeah. so um anyway saga still solid book like yep it's one of my favorites that i look forward to every month or every other month or every every three months whenever it comes out yeah did I? so um, um yeah he man next we're gonna take a ride on the nostalgia train a little bit yeah we're headed to eternia um and third earth yep um so we read a book uh this week i think it's called he-man and the thundercats it's he-man thundercats number one yeah and it's actually a lot of fun um so number one if you uh if you're like me and you liked he-man as a kid and you've gone back or even thundercats probably falls into the same thing and you've gone back and rewatched some of those shows uh recently you probably noticed just how not good they are you know like my kids have avatar to go back and rewatch uh and which is an, an impeccable story even still um, but He-Man and Thundercats and many of the shows that we know and love from the 80s, Transformers is the most obvious and easy example of this, were basically just there to sell toys. Like, they were an add-on to get you to buy more toys. He-Man and- is legitimately the first cartoon that was ever created specifically to market toys yeah so um going and rewatching those shows they're not great um there's a lot of rough i mean the story is just not great in general um barely good in most cases uh so i was a little reticent reading this book but it's actually pretty solid like i like it they managed uh, to make it somewhat interesting yeah I, and i actually i don't have a ton of notes in, in terms of like the actual story goes um, what I do know, though, is that it, this is not a continuation of the previous Masters of the Universe series that DC published. Um, mm-hmm. There was actually two series that they published over the last few years. It's not a continuation of that. Um, and the reason I know this is because all the key characters that I remember from the TV show and whatnot are are, are present for this issue. Um, the DC, um, the most current DC storylines um, have Randor being dead. Mm-hmm. Adam is actually king. Mm-hmm. Um, and people know he's He-Man by this point because, like, how long can you really hide that when you're in the yeah, public this, eye? Yeah, this one was kind of funny. We got almost a Thor scene, like, with the coronation. Like, yeah. you were going to get the magic belt or whatever, and, and he, yeah. but you were later something like yeah. that. Yeah. Orko still being around is actually a big deal because we find out in the DC series um, that they've been running that Orko was actually kind of uh, an evil mastermind through a good portion of it. Like, he was, he was bad. Um, so there's a lot of changes that that happened and don't get me wrong i loved the dc treatment of the he-man characters and this is a dc book as well i should i should point that out but 
um, the previous incarnations of the books I've really enjoyed mm-hmm. because I felt like they really felt like a continuation of what a He-Man story could be um, with, and I, I hate to be Zack Snyder about it, but with a little bit of an edgier way of telling the story. Yeah, I mean, just basically tell the story for grown-ups, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not completely distracting. Like even reading this book, I was like, okay, that you know, that's definitely not something you'd see in the kids show when uh, Adam gets his sword shoved through his chest, his own sword. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, the premise is this: we we first open the book with uh, Mumra, yeah, kind of getting his ass handed to him by Lionel, yeah, and a narrator basically saying, "This is not what you expect when you blah blah blah, whatever." Um, and you find out pretty quickly that the ancient spirits that give Mumra his powers of immortality and, and, you know, superpowers and whatnot are not happy with the job yeah. he's doing at trying to get them freed from their prison and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and so they devise a plan to, uh, get Mumra in a, in a place where he can steal He-Man's sort of power because it's the only sword that they know of that's, that can rival Lion-O's sort of omens. Yep. Um, that's the overall plot. Really, Mumra is the only character that meets anybody from Eternia at all. Yeah, throughout the duration of of issue number one, um, which is refreshing because I really kind of felt like there was going to be like issue number one was going to end with a big fight between Lionel's group and He Man's group. Yeah, that would been kind of forced. And uh, <laughs> don't get me wrong, I think we're probably going to hit that at some point, at least a little bit. So yeah, um, but it didn't have to be issue number one, and it wasn't thankfully, but. Uh, um, what I liked about this is it was almost told from two separate points of view. Three, actually, once you get to the end. But like um, the the two main points of view, which would be from the He-Man side and the Thundercats side. The He-Man side of things really felt like a He-Man story. The Thundercats side of things really felt like a Thundercats story. Like the two were in the same book, but they really felt like their own brand. Yeah. And I thought that the the book was really successful at at, at passing that test. Yep. Um, and then uh, the um, kind of the what you alluded to with the um, Adam getting stabbed through the chest and stuff like that. That definitely I did not see coming. Um, and I thought was really cool about it what they did and, and how he got out of it was Mumra standing there holding Adam's sort of power through him. Yeah. And he kind of mumbles something under his breath, which happens to be the oath that he takes when he becomes He-Man and whatnot. And so yeah. he turns into He-Man. He doesn't have the sword, but he's He-Man and doesn't have a hole in his chest at that point. So, Yeah, I really like that because um, obviously that's one of the things that you can do in a comic book or in a grown-up property that you couldn't do in the kids' show. Um, you know, certainly violence was sort of off the table. So, um, you, you know, it's always kind of like... A, when he man's he man, uh, you know he's. You get the sense that he's more powerful, but there's no really limit or scope for what his powers actually are, or what no. he can do. Because when it comes down to it, he's never actually going to get really hurt, and nobody on the show is because they can't, you know, do violence and whatever um, for the most part, except for you know the sort of faux kid violence where you know every plane that blows up has the you know pilot parachuting away sort of thing. So um, yeah, th- this was I thought an interesting book. Um, I-, I enjoyed it. I thought the you know the the reveal at the end, of course, as I was reading the um, the narrator, I was like, well, who the fuck's the narrator? Because like basically everybody important's already here, and then it turns out it's Skeletor. 
Um, and so Skeletor actually uh, seems to be, you know, that's another thing that like Skeletor is the epitome of like one dimensional useless villain in He-Man, the cartoon. And, uh, you know, he actually was like a, you know, they gave him a, a third dimension. He's, he's a, he's a legitimate threat in the other comic books that he's been in as well. Um, they kind of power him up quite a bit for those, those yeah. stories. And the, the thing that the big reveal is not that it is Skeletor that's narrating, but that the ancient ones, um, that have been helping Mumra all this time are actually in cahoots with Skeletor and basically mm-hmm. turn Mumra over to Skeletor to do with as he pleases because they only care about one thing and that's getting out of their prison. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is worth reading issue two, at least maybe three, four, see how it's how only it a six issue limited series. So I'm, oh, we'll just read the whole thing. Yeah, probably. I got, I got no problem reading the whole thing because it's, it's just the six issues. So, yeah. Um, I, I was really, really happy with it. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'm, uh, I'm a bit older, and so, like, He-Man and Thundercats both I watched in their first runs. Uh-huh. Um, and so, to me, it really is, like, that memory lane stroll that you hope for when you pick up yeah, a it's like definitely, that. Yeah, it's definitely that for me, but it's sort of a nice, fresh take on it a little bit because um, that memory lane stroll, you know, like I tried, like I said, I tried watching them, you know, recently to see if it's still something that I enjoy. And I, I did get nostalgia for, like, five seconds, and I was like, holy God, I was either a dumb kid or they just make better stories for kids these days. Thundercats is probably the easier of the two to, to rewatch. Mm-hmm. I think it holds up better. Because yeah. uh, the characters, I think, are a little bit cooler than He Man, but He Man was my jam. Like yeah. that was my thing. I had so many of those action figures when I was. So a kid. did I. Yeah. So I guess that at least from that standpoint, it was is a success. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. That is the show for this week. Um, if you want to tell us how we did, you can always uh, go to Twitter, twitter.com slash or at whatever show rather that in the parlance of Twitter. In the in the parlance, yeah, just, yeah, just at whatever show, yeah, Facebook dot com slash whatever show. That was much better than mine. Questions at whatever dot co if you want to use email the old fashioned way. Um, and as usual, we would love and appreciate a review and a rating on iTunes. If you could go on iTunes and give us a review and a rating, we would appreciate it so much. Um, and spread us all to your friends and stuff like that. Um, we're also pretty active on uh, the social medias and whatever ourselves. So if you want to follow us or, or check us out too, uh, at Charles E. Smith at the brutal one. Yeah, um, and and we actually are way active, and, and if you if you tweet the uh, the show's Twitter, like you're gonna get a response. Yeah, at this point, uh, we're we're not really, and I don't really use either of the feeds for marketing so much as I do, like because that's kind of what Twitter is. I think a lot of the times is is just a giant bundle of marketing for most you know semi quasi famous people um, or people who want to be quasi famous. But um, you know, most of my shit you can see is not that well thought out. So yeah. Um, special thanks to at uh geeky goddess on twitter um she's been retweeting some of our our tweets especially when we drop new shows and whatnot and she's got a much bigger following than we do so any little bit helps and yeah shout out to her for that all right everybody we'll see you next week later